This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Folks, if you'd like a copy of my best-selling first book, Tales of a First Round Nothing, head on over to ecwpress.com. If you'd like a copy of my second book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to www.flankerpress.com. If you'd like either copy personalized, just add a note. Thanks for listening to my podcast, and happy reading. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Tales with TR, episode 177B. My next guest wears many hats that stem from his success as a stand-up comedian. Hailing from the beautiful province of Newfoundland and Labrador, this two-time Juno Award nominee opened up for Jerry Seinfeld, appeared at events like Just for Laughs and the Great Outdoors Comedy Festival. He frequently tours Canada and has written... For six seasons on the Canadian Funny Factory, this hour is 22 minutes, as well as create an amazing short film called Snowstorm Roulette, which was nominated for Best International Short Film at the Austin Comedy Festival. He's played a weatherman on Son of a Critch and is a lifelong Toronto Maple Leafs fan, proving much comedy is born out of misery. He is a funny fella, a gnarly Newfoundlander, a cool comic, a good guy. He looks good for his age and tears up the stage. He's a mighty fine bloke and tells a good joke. He rides a cool bike and his magic on the mic. He shoots for the stars and gets laughs and burrs. Folks, Ryan Reeves won't score much, but man, he can fight. And welcome to the show. It's my buddy, Matt Wright. Wow. That was great. I love that. That's what happens when you uh, smoke a joint at night, pretty potent, and then do your preparation. <laughs> I respect that very much. <laughs> uh, spe- speaking, of, speaking of, I gotta, I might... We're going to get into your background now in a second, but I might have a heart attack right now, and then I wouldn't know what it was like to open up for Jerry Seinfeld. When did this happen? Please take us through that experience, and then I'll start. My God, I can't believe that happened. Uh, I Okay, well, I'll agree with that in the sense that I can't believe that happened. That's like, yeah, that's the, that's the scariest thing I have ever done in my life. I will say that. It was, it was at this big outdoor comedy festival called the Great Outdoors Comedy Festival. They do like four different ones. They did one in Halifax. That's where I was. I think they did one in Alberta, one in BC with all different headliners. The headliners for my weekend were uh, Anthony Jeselnik, Bill Burr, 
and Jerry Seinfeld. And I kind of opened up the, the Jerry Seinfeld show. Wow. So it was, yeah, it was terrifying. There was like, I think the final count where there was like 9,600 people, like just an unfathomable amount of people. And yeah, I just went out and I did like 10 minutes off the top. Did Then Trent McClellan, another very funny comedian. He's from Cornbrook. He's on 22. He, he came out, he did 20. I went out and I did another 10. Introduced Mario Joyner, who is like Seinfeld's always like opener, so to speak. And then the lights went out and uh, yeah, he was there. But it was, it was, it was crazy. God. So he's royalty. Now in my mind, well, Bill Burr too. They're both in my top five. And then it would be Chris Rock, George Carlin, and Richard Pryor. That's my favorite comedians ever. Oh, that's and, a great uh, Mount Rushmore. Yeah, man. I, I, I couldn't, I, I mean, I didn't realize in that same sentence you just said Bill Burr. Yeah, I listened to his podcast too. Um, that is wild. And 9,600 people. But <laughs> I tell you, the first time I did it was in Oshawa to open up for Jerry. I mean, you, Jerry D. You're you're an actual comedian. I, mean, I, I tell some stories. I didn't really know what to do. He he wanted to write something with me, so I was up there in Toronto, and he said, "Yeah, just." I said, "I need some work," and he says, "Yeah, yeah, you're uh, you're opening for me tonight in Oshawa, and I'm not a stand-up comedian, so that was quite wild." And I don't know, yeah, five thousand there, but you know what's funny? What's that? Um, and I'll stop talking about myself now. But it, so I, I was up there that summer and he's like, you got to practice. So I, I ended up opening up for him five or six places in Canada. I did here and that was weird. But you know what I found? I was really nervous for the for start of it because I was like, and I remember talking to Mark Critch. We were at just some fundraiser on Dundas Street up there. And he goes like, you're, you just open for like, I, I barely play places with that many people. Like, you know, not many standups get to do that. And yeah. I just happened to experience it because I was opening up for Jerry D. But I remember going, uh, and then, you know, so the summer I had to go down to, like, the Comedy Barn and, uh, you know, yuck yucks on Richmond and get up mm -hmm. there and do my thing. And I remember once there was 11 people. It was a snowstorm, <laughs> and they were just, like, they couldn't get into the concert next door. And I said, I used to say at the beginning, look, I'm a one-trick pony. I can tell hockey stories. If you're not into it, get on your phone. I won't be at all offended. And they all got on their phone. I could hear the water dripping. It was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I found it. Way up. Point is, when there's a lot of people, it's almost like laughter can be contagious. In my short experience, only playing five or six big, big, big rooms like that. That was the case. I was like, oh, it's, I don't want to say easier because yeah. you come at it from a different perspective than I do. But I, I found that, you know, it's, it's almost, well, often easier to get a laugh but, so yeah. your your instincts are correct um a lot of people look at it like oh the more people there are the more nervous you'll be mm -hmm. and sometimes like for stand-up i'm looking at it like i don't need a, i don't need in no juncture of my life do i need 100 percent of people to like me that's not a rational thing to expect or even want nor is it healthy but so if i got 500 and I got 200 of them like me and they're rolling with me. That's a great crowd. The other 300 aren't going to kill that. Right. So, but if you got, you know, that's, that's less than half. That's like a, like Jesus, I'm not a math guy. It's like 30% of people. But if you got 20 people and you got 30%, you're like, that's oh. a very uncomfortable experience. But oh, the reason you do that, it's harder to do the smaller crowds. Cause it's like, by the time you do enough of that, um, the bigger crowd is like, oh, this is the treat. The thing that you'd think was the scary thing. You're like, oh, no, this is the gift. 
This is yeah. why you do all those small shows and work out the kinks. And every time you play, I mean, a bar or something, it's going to be like that. Uh, and, and you never really know. So how, I remember you told me this, but I can't remember the answer. How did you get into stand-up comedy? It was just, it, it wasn't like something you, you weren't like 11 years old. I mean, you might've aspired to do it, but the way I understand it, you walked up on stage or you, you kind of just jumped into it and, and, you know, had a fairly fast rise. I mean, I know a lot of comics that, and, and you know, knowing that world, I did meet a lot of comics that, you know, would love to get a chance to spread their wings a little bit. You've done it. How did you get into it? Well, you know, it's funny because, like, Newfoundland has a very strong history of comedy. Like, mm. comedians per capita from this province, as you know, is it's insane. But I will say that in terms of stand-ups, that's not really the case. Like, there's no, like, you know, Codco was happening. That's, like, an old sketch show for people who aren't from here or who don't know about it. It's, like, legendary. But, like, that was that was going on since, like, the 70s or whatever, right? I don't know any, like, 70s who were, like, Newfoundland stand-ups, strictly stand-up comedians. There was character work. There was sketch. Uh, so I never thought I could do stand-up. I saw it on television. I was like, oh, that looks kind of fun. And then I, I was like interested in writing and screenwriting. And then as you know, you kind of realize once you start doing that, it's almost impossible to get anyone to read anything, let alone make it. And mm -hmm. I was just like, stand up was there. It was available. I could make a phone call and be like, Hey, can I do your open mic? And then people just say yes or no. And then you go up and you have it. But I had just been like, I did business in school. I, I didn't, I realized like halfway through, I was like, oh, I'm not going to want to work in this field at all. You did business. How did <laughs> yeah. you drift? I went in not knowing. I had like, I, I said, it was 2009 and I gravitated. I got the folklore English degree, but a lot of it, honestly, mm. like folklore was like I did a full course on stand up com comedy. I did a course on the history of pop music. Oh, I did that course. The there wasn't that great. Like, oh, there were oh, layups. Unbelievable. How how did you get in there? And that's what I'm saying. I didn't know what I was going to do, but the more I did those courses, I was fascinated. I loved it. And then, you know, I filled in the blanks at 20, 20 mains, 20 electives. My electives were like, you know, same thing, like history, geography. I found them easy courses to get into, like true crime and stuff, you know. But oh, the other yeah. side of it, any of the math or the business was like I took one course business. I must have. You know what happened, Matt? When I was away in Tri-Cities way back, um, I graduated a year early when I was 16, so 17, 18, you know, we took courses. The team paid for it. You might as well take courses. So I did have oh, some yeah. business. And I remember it saying, you know, even if I sign a contract, maybe, maybe this will help me if I don't go on. It kind of the, it didn't really, but I, that, that was my motivation. So when I got back here, I qualified for this stats course. Mm. The worst the worst experience of my life. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. And I just scrapped it and I went in and said, okay, I took like another folklore course and came out of it with a folklore English degree, because again, I'm, I'm not considering myself a stand-up comedian, but I look at it many things like a comic would, I think. So yeah. how did you drift towards business of all things? Oh, not I mean, you're an idiot. I'm just, you know, I mean, I sure can be, uh, <laughs> I'm not ripping just, you don't through seem, You don't seem like the type that walks in the door and says, give me the math wing. <laughs> it was funny. My father is a math teacher. I was all right at math. It's, I think, Here's a real, maybe a hot take, but I just decided to do business when I was, I don't know, I was like 
16 years old when I made that decision. I don't even know who I was. My brain wasn't cooked yet. I was just like Did a you have young any idea that you wanted to be a stand up. No, 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 never considered it. Never considered it. But I also wasn't like, I'd like to be a businessman. I, I was just like, I don't know. You're supposed to pick what you do in university. So I just picked something that makes I was told was flexible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and anyway, here I am. But like the big shift was like, I barely graduate. Well, not barely. I did okay. But like I was no, I'm was on no lists, was not a promising student or anything. I was a guy who graduated from university. But then I, I hosted this dinner um, at the end, like for my graduating class. And I was like, oh, I got some laughs. And I was like, that's the first time I've been good at anything in five years. I'm sure of it. Wow. So that was kind of just like, I was at the time like, oh man, I had just like gotten dumped. My grandmother died. I had nothing going on in my life. I was like, man, I can handle bombing right now if i can ever you know it's shit is already bad why not kind of take a weird thing and i just started doing mics and kind of like taking any shows that i could and i just didn't stop when were you how old were you 20 22 or 23 when i started wow no wait no i'm I think it must have been 24, actually. I'm I'm 35 now. Which was, I was going to say, like 10 years ago. I mean, I don't mind asking yeah. you. Everybody can. I wouldn't sure. ask if it's private, but everybody can find out now in the click of a button. It's also um, like you're an athlete, so your age is just on the internet. It's on so there. I feel like if anyone can ask, you guys can. Yeah. <laughs> True. It's on there, yeah. All of the information. Um, that's wild. So listen. You, you, you grew up in St. John's, right? Which school did you go to? No, I grew up in Gander. Okay, Gander. I, th- I knew you were from there. I, gr- growing up to me is an open like there, there's, you know, there's stages. I mean, some people say they grew up somewhere. They left when they were ten. That's mm. kind of what I thought Gander was for you. Okay, so you you were all out there the whole way. Yeah, I moved out there the year after. Like when I graduated, I did all of my school Jesus. there. My parents are both from Greenspond, so I like spent a lot of time around the bay when I was a kid. So that was like when, in the summer I would spend a lot of time there. But then like yeah, I was I grew up in Gander. I coached minor soccer a bunch. Like I played coach soccer. Yeah, took business. Had no yeah. idea you're going to be a stand up comedian from Central Newfoundland. I'm not saying that. <laughs> Get back to it. Gander isn't known for the arts, but here's and neither at my my. My dad's family's from St. Joseph's. My mom's in here. And my my dad's like real, like his father had like 12 brothers and said they're from St. Joseph's. My dad grew up in Grand Falls. But the same thing. I'll go into Grand Falls. Yeah. And they'll tell me that they're, they're not, oh, I could never do that. Like never stand up comedy or we're not musicians. Yet someone will always break out a guitar. There's always someone telling a story and performing. I oh, say yeah. to my dad, I'm like, you've been doing stand up comedy your whole life right in front of me. What are you talking about? Like, yeah. But that's it in Newfoundland, I think. I think there's lots of people that they just don't think to get up there because it's they're just being themselves. They don't think to get up <laughs> on a stage. But I've got at least, I think we all have at least a half dozen friends that easily could take their best stuff and get up there on a stage anywhere on open mic. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And even like Grand Falls, it's like maybe an arts community, maybe, maybe not. But like Gordon Pinsent is from there, right? Yeah, and like Gander, exactly. it's like maybe like... I don't know if the infrastructure is there as much as it would be in a larger place, but I think there's kind of like a little bit of a a hack when you're from a smaller place. It's like if you're just kind of energetic and interested, you can, you know, and you have you have an all you need is like really three or four friends who are into the same thing that you're doing. So it's like you can do plays, you can do whatever. And oh, I love your cat right now. 
Anyway, yeah. But That's overall, it. like I will say, like no. there was no stand-up comedy. There's barely there was barely any stand-ups in St. John's when I started. There was only like there was only like I think there was ten of us on this circuit when I started. Now there's there's more. There feels like there's like I don't know, God, like fifty or something. I'm not around yeah. as much as I once was, but like there was just like I could we could you could have all of us at a table when I started. Uh, but in Gander, it's like I was able to like you know be in the play or do whatever you wanted. Like there was enough like good teachers kind of around that would you know give you the the training wheels. I think. Which uh, yeah, that's true. And you know, but you guys are influential. I often we, it's very similar. Honestly, there is a parallel in the hockey world, and I'll tell you how. Terry, pet your cat, man. Your cat wants your affection. Oh, it, it, it does, <laughs> does so she ever? Yeah, I got two. I got two, so I'm. I've got a major, major, it's like a nine out of 10 allergy to cats. But oh, no. When I was working on Republic of Toil, remember the SPCA is right next to that building? Yeah. So my daughter came in one day and I was doing locations. I did locations for like four or five years, which is right. for those that don't know. It's you're on the outskirts. It's jump how high. It's good money. I never. Yes, I was in the film industry. I never thought I'd be an actor for the first. Like it wasn't even in the in my mind. But I was. um I would take my daughter in once in a while. She was fascinated. She was five or six. And anyway, yeah. I had to, one of the things was go over because the dogs would often be barking and go over to Terry, ask him how long the dogs are going to be barking. I'm like, that's really a question for the dogs. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. anyway, dogs care about time. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. Right? Hey, dogs, when are you good? Um, yeah. Which, um, that was it. So I picked up a couple of cats and uh, we moved into Mount Pearl and her mom moved away. So I took them. I just now I just take four reacting a day. I'm just like, oh. I can't. I just can't. My daughter loves them too much. Good and man. And I love the cats. Oh, and they I love mean, me. But no, that is the, clear. <laughs> the allergy is, yeah, it's I, I, it's uncontrollable, uh, to be honest with you. It's, well, actually, it's controlled right now. So That's it's right. Controllable. But you it can feels that way for Reactant right now. Tails is here, is sponsored by Reactant. That's, you know what? That's who I should go after because I spend enough up. money on it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's um, funny? You mentioned Republic of Doyle. I was also on Republic of Doyle. I think I remember seeing you around there. So that was like in between like the transition from like I was working like an advertising job to like I wanted to lean into arts kind of stuff. So I was an extra on Republic of Doyle for the last two seasons. But okay. because I was one of like the police extras, they brought me in like every day, just threw yes. like threw like a bulletproof vest on me. Mostly I just sat in a room dressed as a cop, like writing jokes and a little notebook and then, and like eating snacks. And then every now and then there'd be like an hour. They'd be like, go walk behind Alan Hocko in a pattern for 30 minutes. And they paid me for 11 I hours. That. The best. You're right, though. Most of the background that came in, the cops always came back. It was almost like you had a semi-regular gig there. Yeah. But anything great. else is like, come on in and be like a boxing fan. Or, you know, today you're going to ride a, a – you're going to be a skier. But, like, with you guys, you were in there a lot. Yeah. yeah. That's – I was um, going hard. I was set dressing and then the la – or, or, sorry, locations. And then the last year I got into set dressing a bit. Um, I really enjoyed it. Again, I, I had really no idea, but you're, it's funny because when you're on locations, I would often go and some of it, if, especially if you're outdoors, is is locking up an area, right? For those yeah. that don't know, so you don't want to, you don't want people walking through a scene when you got to take it ten times. You'll have to have them every time and pay them as actors. Really, you don't want a car in the background that wasn't there the first time you did the scene. So really, you're on the outskirts. Sometimes there's not really much happening at all. You're just out there for. Um, just in case kind of thing. So I would always take out a, a pen and a paper and I wrote 
a, a short film called The Stand-In. And I, I, it was eight or nine minutes. I, I just knew because I, I did a couple of stunts and I was just trying to get into the union. Mm. And I knew that no one would give me that role. So I did it and just sent it to a bunch of directors and ended up, ironically, Justin Oakey, a Newfoundlander, saw it. I didn't even know he was from Newfoundland. Put me in a fire in the cold season. And I won't say I was off to the races, but I kind of, now I had something to go by. And That's the start of it. See. So you, the same sort of thing, it sounds like. You, you, you know, at some point you're doing business, but then if you're in on Republic of Doyle and you're writing stuff, now you're, 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 you, the door is open. You must have seen, okay, there's an opportunity. And I'm guessing you always like writing. Even if, like for me, I always, always liked writing. I, can, I don't think I went too long without creative writing to some degree, whether it was even in a little journal totally. or a poem or something. So to say it came out of nowhere for me would kind of be not a lie, but I, I, it was it was subconscious maybe, but it didn't really come out of nowhere. Was it the same for you? Yeah, like I would, you know, like I would like writing and, you know, it's, but then it's, you know, you think when you're 19, you're like, oh God, I have to try to be an adult now or whatever. So you kind of just put all that stuff aside and then I kind of just slowly work my way back into it. And like, like I said, like being on a set like that, even if you're, even if you're just dressed as a cop doing mostly nothing, just being around that energy of people making stuff, you're like, Oh yeah, there's adults who do this. So that's, yeah, that's a, that's a good feeling. I'm, I'm grateful for that. To be honest, it was, a, it I was would, kind of a memorable part of my life. I honestly, it's someday I really enjoy writing. I'm too busy. Well, I, you know, I guess in a way I'm writing something all the time. I mean, I do have two books out, but yeah, um, yeah. but I, you published two and I'm working on a third. <laughs> As yeah. I talk to you, I'm like, ah, writing is yeah. <laughs> As I all this. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you were, and um, like, yeah, you literally, last night, you wrote a poem that had me and Ryan Reeves in it. That's never happened to me. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, it, You know, the other reason, to be totally honest with you, um, I, when I was younger and I went away and I'm an only child, and I was really nervous when, when and, and it became a little bit of a security blanket because I would write and I would forget things and, and it, it, a lot would come out of me in the writing. Right. You know, it would be funny little poems and stuff. At first, but also, like, I, again, I had no brothers or sisters to bounce ideas off of. I go to Quinnell, B.C. I'm speaking that, like Ted Hitchcock. You know, I'm talking like this. <laughs> yeah, and they, yeah, they yeah. never heard. There was no Internet. There was no globalization of the Internet like that. So, like, you know, it was just before that where every new fee, wherever you went, would be asked, you know, do you live in an igloo and all that stuff? You, oh, yeah. You tell a joke. This is true for people that don't. There's, there's In one of your acts, you tell a joke about, you know, you run into someone in Toronto and they say, you're not going to believe this, but I have a friend yeah. who has a cottage in PEI that he stays in in the summer. And yeah. you go like, you know, how many times did I get that and go, yeah, you know, <laughs> and sure. I saw a puffin in Nova Scotia one time. You know, yeah. that's that's how close it is to your like to you, me being in PEI. We're talking about thousands of kilometers. You guys have any anyway. They just don't know, man. They don't like but you know what? <laughs> I used to get upset about it and then you know, you find yourself in Saskatchewan and you're like, I don't know anything about this place. <laughs> so well, you know, I don't have much of a leg to stand on. But I think it's flipped like for the newer generation, not newer generation, but like 
since yeah, the, internet the internet and stuff, the internet and there's been so many Newfoundlanders on television that I get feedback. I would say when I do gigs on the mainland, I'd say about 25% of the time I'll get some type of feedback that essentially is like you're, you weren't Newfoundland enough for me. So they have this idea of what Newfoundland is that I guess that I'm not filling. And they, you know, me, it, I, I get that with the Ted Hitchcock. Yeah, I'm sure. Often. And people are like, why didn't you do this? I'm like, you understand that it's a scripted show. Like, you understand sure, that, yeah. right? You're and I got no problem with it. I think it's great. Jared bounces the lines off me, obviously, but he writes it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he hasn't been to Newfoundland. So he, he loves Coldwater Cowboys. But half the, you know, half the lines that he writes is from that. So I said, like, I can't start dropping H's and adding them because they say that in other places. There's dialects all over Newfoundland. Sure. So I give him Townie and he likes Townie and I go with that. But, mm. you know, you do kind of get that. And the funny thing is, when I was younger... It was a feeling of loneliness because it was always bittersweet. No one ever said it, at least especially when I started dropping the mitts and I was on the hockey team. And, you know, it was I wasn't necessarily getting picked on. It was you stupid newfie or, and you know, they would say newfie. People don't like that term. It's whatever. It's the way you, you use it. My, my friends, my teammates, sure. it, it was a term of endearment. But they would say it and it would be almost depressing. Like, go like, oh, like this, you know, this is a big screen TV. And I'd go. You're not being sarcastic here, are you? Like, so I know you're only trying yeah. to be comforting and nice, but the loneliness comes from you have no idea where I'm from. None. You've none. none. I'm in Quinell, yeah. BC here. Guys, there's a pulp mill. It's 10,000 people like where my grandfather or my father grew up in Grand Falls. We have yeah. everything you guys have. And to, speak to, and to speak to your loneliness on that, this is still current. And, and I wonder if you ever feel like this when you're out west is if I'm in Toronto – I'm like, okay, that's everything is kind of fine. It's an hour and a half time difference. If I'm in like if I'm in BC, oh yeah, everyone like by the time I get off stage, everyone who I'm friends with at home has been asleep for three hours already. So oh, that yeah. I, I bet for you, a lot of the times like you would be like a late night, you'd be out there and you'd be like, Well, even if I wanted to talk to someone at home right now, everyone's asleep. We're not even exactly. living the same life. And you know what I would do? I would break out people. This is wild. Yeah, this is wild. I would take these i always write in the journal and put some that i can rip the pages out yeah you know that are easily rippable i just always in case and i would just some of the times i'd be writing and i would send a letter right I, that's how much mm -hmm. patience now we can't get through a youtube video you we used to sit there and i remember just writing a letter to my buddy chris pettigrew blair Connolly, jeremy charles the chef yeah. founder merchant um and that's you know we would call each other once in a while but the other thing was no cell phones i couldn't take out you know i'm talking when i was 14 91 92 and it was such a different world, and then, but it, but it, it was BC, it was Cornell BC. So there was a level. I was Canadian. There was at least a little bit of familiarity. Mm. I went from there. Drive yourself fifteen hours south. Now you're in Kennewick, Washington, that borders <laughs> Oregon. Yeah. No clue. My so I never forget it. My ge my social studies slash geography teacher, Mister Mister Schleffer, Schleffer, and he um. God, he, he told me I spoke really, I spoke English really well, he said, for someone from Newfoundland. Oh, and, God, yeah. And I, when he said it out loud, I said, and then I got up, we had to give presentations. So I got up and I really, I said, I wonder what these people really know. So I made light of the igloo. I, did, I wasn't totally obvious about it. They would have seen it. But I said, you know, we, people think we're in igloos all the time. I'm like, yeah, it was only like two months a year. You guys <laughs> don't right. realize, yeah. right? And I started going and they're like, oh, I didn't realize. And I said, and the teacher really thought, like, he was so confident. I'm like, you're the geography teacher. I said at the end of the year, I, I swear, when they gave out the grades, 
and I was leaving. I said, you know, everything I told you in that was a pile of shit. I said, yeah, like, right. you're a geography teacher. And he thought New Finland was a new part of Finland. He thought it was part of Scandinavia. Oh, my God. And I was going, wow. Like, wow. So that's a real, like, weakness in human beings in general. People hear a different dialect or something, and they're like, oh, that person's less smart than me. It's like, yeah. no, that's not how it works. A lot of the times, and this is like, like, Newfoundlanders, like, we're speaking English. Like, don't get me wrong. <laughs> don't I know it? But, like, okay, you think about, like, if you ever hear someone and they're speaking in their second language and they're speaking kind of slowly and screwing up a few words, and people treat them like they're morons, and it's like, they're they're thinking and then speaking into a different. They're smarter than you are. It's yeah. I love I love how you know who's great at it. I don't know, I don't know if it's part of certain cultures to be able to adapt easier, but these Swedes and Finn 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 guys oh. in the NHL. Yeah, what is it? Like oh. all of, like you talk to Marcus Naslin after like three years of being. I'm dating myself there. He's nineties two thousands, but you know anybody? I don't know the Sedins or or oh. Think of, I remember think of who any, was it? Swede that you know, or or by extension Finn, but more Swede in the NHL, and by their third year, they're speaking like fluently. So Marcus Marcus Nasla, because he used to play on a line, I think with it was him, Bertuzzi, Bertuzzi. and Linden, was it? Yeah, yeah. Oh my, see, like that's they were like top five scoring one year, two of them at least. I remember that. I think the Canucks have like the Leafs now feel a little bit like the Canucks in the sense that you're like, these are undeniably great teams, but my God, they're not giving you the the one thing that you would like to have. Man, just think Vancouver. We haven't won it as in Canada. We haven't won the NHL Canadian team in 30 years now. Right. Mm -hmm. And Whoa. I, 30. That's, that's significantly more than a quarter of a century. It's a half decade, more than that, for those keeping count. That's how long. And there's seven of the 32 teams are from here. It's wild. What? It's know. wild. And twice, the Vancouver Canucks have not only been in, they've gone to game seven. And we don't even qualify it. Like, I don't even oh. think of it like that. I, I, It's like the Canucks have been shit for a long time. No, they haven't. No. They have been brilliant more than once. Uh, and the oh, teams yeah. there that you just mentioned, they were good. But they weren't one of the teams that made the final. They made nope. the semi. Yeah. Right? Fuck, they've had some great players. Mark oh, Messier yeah. was there for three years. Messier was there. Pavel Bure has to be like one of the most exciting players to ever be on television. I'm sure of it. The Sedins, I still think, like, are underrated somehow. And honestly, like, underappreciated as a story. Like As a story. Yeah. They're twins. I know this How do is you obvious, Terry. Long? Forgive me, but they look exactly the same. And yeah. you're like world class at a sport. That'll never happen again. And and like, say, I don't know, uh, whatever. <laughs> I don't know the numbers. How long did they play? They put, they retired like, what, five, six years ago. So they played 16, 17 years at least in the NHL because I remember Harold Drukin getting bumped down oh. when they came in. So that would have been like 99, 2000. So and I bet you in 10 of those years, at least, I could be wrong, if they played the games with bearing injury, they were within five points of each other. Mm -hmm. And they finished very close. Like, how do you play all that time? Be, I know, first of all, I know you're identical twins. So, <laughs> But it to me, like, it's one thing to be identical twins and the science, like, you look the same and you might have some of the same tastes. Yeah. And if you run a marathon, maybe you'll finish within the same 10-minute right. clip as you. I get that. But how do you consistently play 82-game NHL seasons? Always. And, but, you know, 
it filters down, and once again, you're within like 92 points, 91 points, 87 points, 84. It's fucking wild. They oh, were like carbon crazy. copies of each other. And Same great mannerisms. people in the community. Great people, yep. great leaders, love the community, loved by fans, gone. You don't even hear about them. Mm-hmm. And like, in hindsight, maybe a hot take, low-key tough. I've always said there's two kinds of toughness. There's toughness you can give it, and there's toughness you can take it. And those guys, I always felt like took an absolute beating and showed no emotion about it whatsoever. I'm not saying that's, that's the point. ideal way to play, maybe, but... I, I do respect it. It's a great point, and I'm telling you this. Speaking of their countrymen, I played one game against this next player I'm going to mention, and I sat out at least two. So I saw with my own eyes how tough this guy is. I don't know if he dropped his gloves. People ask me about toughness. One of the toughest players I've ever seen with my own eyes is Peter fucking Forsberg. Yeah. He would go into the corner with anybody. You could not intimidate him. He was so strong. And he also, once in a while, if you, you know, he, he would, he was dumb like a fox in the corner. He'd hit you with the elbow and it would be an accident. But he was <laughs> so strong. Yeah. Like, I was and and just ne and battled and played through injury and played and played and played and some he was of those reckless too. Yeah, like, the like, way he like drove Patrice in the Bergeron, net. Like, very. Mm. It's a similar ilk. Of, of, that's kind of what I'm talking about. They're they're different players. Obviously, they shoot different ways. Bergeron's naturally a little bit more finesse, but playing through injury, go in the corner with anybody and come out smiling, uh, picking their teeth with a toothpick. Just yeah. a, a total joke. What I was going to say earlier because uh, I keep digressing, the parallels. So when I well, I got drafted eighth overall, a few years before me was John Slaney. I think five years before me. He went ninth overall. John had to win and go to the SO Cup and get noticed. I got noticed in the Pee Wee tournament in Quebec, and therefore then they dragged me away. Mm. But there were always players here of the same ilk. Like you look back at the 80s, like Andy Sullivan played here, you, you know, I won't get into it, but he's a local legend that ended up playing pro in his 30s. And yeah. Playing sufficiently in the AHL, not the Southern Pro League. Yeah, picked up great from player. working on the boats, you know, and went down and did a good job, like a formidable job. Andy Sullivan. Then, yeah, Andy Sullivan's son, Shane Sullivan, went to yeah. business school with your boy. Really? Good, oh, great buddy of mine. Excellent he, guy. He, I didn't know that. No, he, yeah. You know what? I played against him a lot in ball hockey. He's a great, like, yeah. I looked at him I, and you know, it's nothing to tell he's Andy's son. And uh, pretty good. Good hard worker. I got to know him a little yeah. bit. Yeah, he's a good guy. I didn't realize Great guy. that. Um, yeah, so when I... So Sorry, I, go I got so overall, excited highest... I interrupted you. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. That's why we're here to converse. Sure. I just forgot where I was going way back. I digressed like You're talking about ago, Peter so... Forsberg and guys who have unconventional toughness, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. But that's, before that, I was talking about the parallels with the comedians on your level now. Like, mm. So in the 80s, those hockey players were there. The, the, the Newfoundland minor hockey didn't change. I mean, I guess you could like little – we're always changing a little bit. But there wasn't some big revamping of the system, right? There was great players in the 80s. Some of them got lucky. Todd Gillingham was one that went away, Darren Colburn. But again, these guys – won and like went and got noticed in Toronto when they were at a tournament. No one was coming here to scout. Yeah. You, you know, it was and so but after me, then it was like okay. And then like the next year, Slaney, and then five years later, me. Now all of a sudden the next year Dan Cleary goes 13th overall. 
Mm-hmm. Then the next year, Harold Drukin goes 30th overall. People yeah. are going, or 33rd. Now people are going, okay, so these guys from Newfoundland are either first-rounders or second-rounders, or we got nobody? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> sure, yeah. They started to scout it, and after that, Michael Ryder, Ryan Clough, mm-hmm. Adam Party, Luke Adam. Um, and I'm just mentioning the NHLers. Now all of a sudden, like when I played, I remember in 94, 95, or 93, 94 was my first year major junior. I was the only player in the Western League from Newfoundland, and there was only two in the OHL, John Drover and Gordy Walsh. Mm-hmm. And within five years, there was 20 players playing Major Junior. And now, I mean, you talk Major Junior, college, junior, there's like, remember they used to have a piece in the paper, like Newfoundlanders playing away. Now it's too oh, big. Yeah. It'd be four pages long. Yeah. So, there's all kinds of, same with comedy. I grew up with Brian Aylward. He's a few years older than me, but Brian mm-hmm. was always a funny guy, but I don't, I could be wrong. I don't remember him doing any stand-up. In, if you were asking me the funniest people around in Mount Pearl, for sure he would come on the list. But I don't know him to have done stand-up comedy or anything, but he was definitely influenced by what you said, Codco, um, I guess early on, Kids in the Hall. I guess that was Atlantic Canada. I think they might have been influenced by Codco, to be honest. But, you know, so you guys mm, yeah. doing, you know, and becoming, and by that, I mean, you know, who's another young, Mike Lynch, you well, know, me and, Lynch, but me and Lynch did like started at the same time and like did the basement at the Bella Vista in front of yeah. four people on VLTs. It was like so yeah. and, like Brian, Brian was around when I started, but Brian was like already headlining. So I would go and watch Brian headline and he yeah. scared the shit out of me. I actually think he's a great guy. But when I saw him, I was like, this guy's terrifying because he just looks like like Newfoundland Stone Cold Steve Austin or something. And I was oh, just, yeah. yeah, I, I, I they, when when I saw him on stage, I was curious because again, I grew up in and around him and all his buddies. So like, I was like, what are we going to see here? It was a little bit different. I didn't know how to take it at first, but, but point is, I guess that, you know, it was always there. It's just that you guys getting up and doing it, but you know, we always had performers that are funny. I can think of a few of my friends, you know, same thing with hockey. I mean, when I played on the Mount Pearl Pee Wee Blades, people rave. I remember one year, I think I had, let's just say 200 points, but I remember this guy, Sean Gibbons, who was a great player. He had 190. Like, you know, it wasn't just, and now my dad took him. What what happened was without getting any further into my story much further, but I should explain that. So, sure. Tri-City saw me at the Quebec Wee tournament or, or a Western. They were one of the teams and they wanted me to go play with this Vancouver team. And my dad said, look, we should take a full team because mm. you're not the only good player, and you mentioned Gibbons as one of them. So we, we all went, and like 10 guys got scholarships or junior A or played major junior within years. Kurt Walsh was drafted third round to the Buffalo Sabres. So that's kind of what happened. But So all those guys, they didn't come out of nowhere, and they weren't like, they were good. They weren't like dominant over the whole you know province, but yet we were good enough to get scholarships, play junior A, major yeah. junior, and same thing with, so you guys coming out, I mean, I'm not saying that, I'm not taking away from what you guys have done. I'm saying, but you've, you've said it in a direction that now there's way more people doing it. I, I don't know if you want to admit that or you know it, but you go up now, you open mic. I mean, we had it at Turkey Joe's for God's sakes, TJ's yeah. and it's filled up right away. Like, yeah, you know, so there's all kinds of people now that it's, it is an aspiration. It wasn't for you because you didn't see many people doing it. Um, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, my, I, I, that's going on a long way, but what, what I want to know, I started way, 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 way back with this question because it's one thing to do that, but another thing that you guys have inspired, including myself, is writing. Now, you got to write for 
six years now on this hour. How was that? What is the process? Do you guys go in a room or do you go home with ideas, call them in and then go into a room? Do you ever go into a room or is it like Saturday Night Live? You present a skit yourself and then like, how does it work? Your, your writing process yourself and then with this hour? Well, that's a good question. It's I'll, I'll answer this as, as quickly as I can, but it's kind of interesting because it's like I did six different seasons I worked on there with a gap year towards the end of it. So there was like, when I started, I was just, I was only like two or three years into comedy. I like wrote up a little package and sent it in, never thinking. And then I got called in to do one episode. And then I just went and did that. And I was like, I did fine. I think not great, but like acceptable. Um, and then I just didn't hear anything. And then like a year later, I got called back for three weeks. That three weeks went good. And then by the end of that three weeks, they had extended me for a season. And then I worked there for like four years. The last two years, it was one year was COVID. So I was just on a laptop. So I won't get into that. That's boring. Um, but it's it, it does change a lot. And I, I imagine like the thing is, by the time since I've been there now, I haven't worked there in two years. And like, you know, there's a lot of new people there. So I'm sure it's very different. But I can speak to kind of what I we all lived in Halifax. OK, so we were all living in this like business apartment complex that we all lived in. It was great. It was super fun. I still some of my closest friends I met there and we just for like. Uh, I think about 20 weeks of the year we would go, we would live in Halifax. You'd go nice. in, okay. Bit you'd of go in and uh, you would just write, you'd go in in the morning, you'd pitch like, here's five ideas. Um, they would, your boss would be like, yes or no. You go around the table, kind of riff around a little bit. Then you would go home for genuinely about like, 12 to 15 hours and just write five sketches, which is honestly, it's, it's insane and probably too many in hindsight, but we had to write four to six. Sometimes you'd collaborate. Sometimes you wouldn't, then you'd send them in. You'd usually go to bed at like two o'clock in the morning. Sometimes you just like have a beer and like shake your head and just go to sleep for eight hours, wake up, check your email. Then you know which of the sketches are going into a book. So they read 50 sketches in a book. Well, it started with 50. I think they do 20 now. Um, I'm really not sure you'd have somebody else. But uh, uh, yeah, so you'd, you'd, the, the cast would read those sketches. Some of them would hit. Some of them wouldn't. And then they would go make those. Uh, they would go for the rest of the week. They would spend... Uh, you know, going to set, you know, getting costumes, building shit. If they were overly complex, like sometimes like the first sketch I ever wrote, I didn't realize this. I was just so inexperienced that I didn't know I shouldn't do this, but I had a baby and a cat and I forget like something else that was in it. And they were like, never do that. Like the, the sketch was good. Like I was just so naive that I was able to make it work. But now that I know the rules, I'd be like, oh, I would never do that. Because I, I made so much work for like the props. Oh, they had to I cast see. a baby. I always think about that, right? Like there's a baby out there. I don't know where he is. But I gave that person its first job. Like that baby got paid money because my dumb little business school brain wrote a sketch that had a baby in it. And fucking then, right. I, that no, that's kind of what I wanted to know. That that process, you explained it well, and I never ever would have thought of that. Yeah, you don't want to make this thing full of bells and whistles that are too hard to recreate. Right. But you wouldn't have known that going in. Um, for those that don't know, this hour is twenty two minutes. I don't know the. I guess the, the 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 show that I could compare it to is is SNL, right? If just the one that's most popular. Yeah. Being a little bit of sketch comedy, but there's also like weekend updates stuff right yeah during so were you writing those as well like the one-liners 
Yeah, so that is like so basically your Tuesday is insane. Like your Monday is the day that you shoot the show. So the so like Tuesday is like the first day. That's where you pitch your ideas and you write your ideas and everything. You do the most of your work kind of in one compact period. Then that's done. Then on Wednesday, you would go to the table read. And then honestly, when that ended, by the time that ended, there was like a two hour gap in between the reading and them picking what they were going to make. And we you just like literally we would just like sit around and stare at each other and like eat pizza and just be like, Jesus Christ. So then they would pick that. Then you'd go home. Usually on Wednesday, you go out and you'd have a few drinks and kind of like recalibrate. And then then Thursday and Friday is basically like you're filling in blanks for everything else. Like if someone is on the road, you write stuff for them. If someone is doing a piece at the desk, you have to pitch that one person will take the lead. Everyone else sends them jokes. They compile it into something else. And then whenever you have free time, you would write what's called copy, which is just those little snippets of jokes. So I would write like, you know, you would write probably about... I'd say by the end of it, you probably write 80 of them a week. And then they would use on the show total, I think, May the Air, probably 12 to 14. And there was 8 to 12 writers there. So, like, it really taught me, and I still hold this, that I'm like, I'm not precious about shit now. I'm like, you need me to write you something? I'll write you something. Give me your notes, whatever they are. Because it's just like, I wrote, like, if you're doing, if you're having a great week, 85% 85% of your shit's in the garbage. That's like a great week. A great so, week. Is because, it hard well, to you, cut the fat? Pardon? Like, is it hard to cut the fat? Like, if I often find there's a lot of movies that go on for like three hours and something, and I'm like, at least 30 minutes of that was oh, like, yeah. wasn't Every movie? Really necessary. <laughs> but I, I get it. If you're a filmmaker, you're probably... It's your baby, and you don't you, you don't want to cut parts away. But I'm like, why does this yeah. have to be? Three and a half but you hours? remember in the '90s, like all those Adam Sandler movies were 80 minutes long. Yeah, they were great. Yes, bring back the 80 minute movie. That's my totally. hard take on that. It used to be standard. Yep, and what? now it's like, like God bless Martin Scorsese. You're one of the greatest to ever ever do it. You can do whatever you want, my friend. I'm not holding you back. But his his movie that I'm going to see, I'm going to see it. I'm sure I'll love it. Killers of the Flower Moon is like three hours and 45 minutes long. Baby, that's it's, two movies. Dude, it is. The next two I want to see are Oppenheimer and that. And I'm going to be in oh. there for the better part of a day. Yup. I did <laughs> Oppenheimer and Barbie in the same day. And it was like I came out like I was like in a coma or something. It was I great. Was going to, and I, I went to Barbie first and I was kind of tired. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to put in another four hours. Although I do like doing that. You know, I grew up across the street from the Topsail Cinemas. So I, oh, yeah. yeah. I, oh, boy. Well, I went to Mary Queen of the World. We used to go over, and yeah, it was just, uh, that was a big part of, of my life, everything in and around the movie theater. But more than once, double feature, and a, I, a few times I can remember a triple feature. Go in at 10 a.m., watch the 10.30, and then like the 2.30, and then the 5. Oh, that's great. Now, now speaking of movies... Okay, I saw Snowstorm Roulette. Now, it really, it was extremely funny to me because not only do we know what it's like in Canada to be snowed in and have that snow day, Newfoundland is no different. We get, and and with Newfoundland, it'll be mild like right up until Christmas, and then we get dumped. Where you often look, it's a green Christmas. You guys get great weather. I mean, just a couple days ago, it was like 17 degrees. But you know, at some point in January and February, there's going to be multiple, multiple, probably a week. We had Snowmageddon a few years ago. Yeah. So it's funny. And, and God, I've, how many times have I done that? Just 
not a drag off or anything, but a, a, a guy or whoever, like we were at my house the night before and now we're snowed in and you kind of got to get through it. It's always <laughs> a little bit of fun and then getting it. But that comedy, I really liked it, but, but I'm seeing it was nominated at the Austin Festival. Did they, I'm surprised the culture didn't clash, like that they understood oh, yeah. all of the comedy. It was very Newfoundland. I think if you're Canadian, you'd, you'd for sure get it, but you'd miss some of it because I think Newfoundlanders would get all of it. And then if you were from Austin, not that people there at the festival are all from Austin, mm-hmm. but I don't know if there's a whole lot from Northeast Canada. So, I mean, I'm just surprised that of all the places, that's where it got nominated. You know, oh, me too. feedback and did they understand it? So this is, and I mean, so basically it's like a, it's a short film I did through the picture star program here. Basically it's like a one night stand that, over the, and as they're they're asleep, there's a big snowstorm and they can't get out. So like I think that side of it, people being trapped, people get that. I True. think here's the weird thing: it did better in those markets because like we we submitted it to everywhere, and it was really people who were just tickled by the fact that that could happen. Because um, like here we're like, yeah, that happens, but in like it did really oh, well yeah, in like Austin, Texas. They were like, wait a minute. It was like a fun, oh, yeah. okay. uh, you know, it's like, I'm sure you've had this experience. Like, yeah. okay, you have a friend who comes here and they point at something. They're like, that's amazing. But you as a Newfoundlander, you never picked out that it was amazing. It took fresh outside eyes to be like, what a weird, cool thing. Like, I'm sure some of your, your buddies from elsewhere, you've had that. I've had that with a bunch of All comedians. Kinds. Hey, dude, dude, do you know that they, they go mummering in Philadelphia? Stop it. Who? It's the only other place that I know of. I was down there. It was after hockey, but not quite. Yeah, it was probably like 2007 or eight. I can't remember why I was there. I was watching the Flyers game. I know that. I think Aaron Ashton was playing there or something. But anyway, yeah, this parade Wait, came former through. Former Gander Flyer, Aaron Ashton. Yeah, I former think. Gander Flyer. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he was, I think he was literally playing on the Philadelphia Flyers at that point. But we, we would enjoy that. I remember even when I, I was roommates with Ash for a few years, junior, then Fredericton, then Montreal, and then in every summer we were training together. But yeah, we went and uh, we were in a tattoo place, to be honest, and all these, there's a parade on the street and I went outside. They're like, oh, the Mummers Parade. I was I was going, what? The yeah. Mummers Parade? And I looked into it. I kept got back and did folklore. And it is, it's it's one of the only places in North America. But again, way back before before the border and you know, before all this technology, it's 17 or 1800s, you know, people settled here in the 1600s. Yeah. So like from Europe, I mean, there was people here, obviously, I don't want to get into all of that, but <laughs> sure. you know, white, white you, people settled in the 1600s. Yeah, I know. Right. I yeah. certainly don't want to imply there was nobody here, but <laughs> <No>, I get you <laughs> when, when, you know, when they did, I guess so Philadelphia is right there. Really. If you follow the riverways and you know, the obvious geography of it all, Right. And it was the population was only on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. There was nothing out West for hundreds of years. So no wonder that there's the same sort of people. You know, a yep. lot of people from there, there's songs, Boston to St. John's, you know, Boston, Philly, I don't know, Pittsburgh, New York. Of course, there's going to be a lot of the same people with the same ancestry. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me too much. And that was a long way. But yeah, all same kind of, of off things. brand Irishy culture a little bit, you see. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, Chris Nyland, his, um, he was telling me, he's like, you can't get too far in Boston with some, without somebody having some connection to Newfoundland, including his grandfather. He was nearly here, mm-hmm. right? Nyland was nearly grew up here. Um, I, one of your acts, uh, one of your bits um, on the concept of being traded, 
Okay, I've been. It's right. funny. It's perspective because when we talked about playing a big room, like it was relieving to me. The reason I was so nervous for Oshawa when Jerry asked me to go up in front of like four or five thousand people is because my experience had been like speaking banquet halls and everything. And yeah, and you're not really hearing a feedback. And I wasn't delivering it like stand up when I started to do now. Right, I got to as soon as I get back, I'm going to do Shorzy on Monday. And one of the weekends there, I'm going in Toronto and I'm going to give a speech. But now I, I get them. It's going to be a little bit more humorous and everything because I got the book. I mean, there's more there now that, you know, people kind of expect that. But before it, I used to, and, and one of the topics was getting traded. And I'm like, you guys don't realize that you're, you're 18 <laughs> years old. You signed that and immediately you could be traded. You do a bid on getting traded from like Subway and St. John's to like Quiznos and Winnipeg or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> and I've often used it, but I, it's funny the perspective. I'm not stealing anything from you, but the next time I give that, and I've kind of have, I heard you do that a while ago. Yeah. So I've, I've, that I've explained that sense in a little, I don't want to rip anything off, but I'm like, it's funny the way you deliver it because it's true. And when you do it with humor, I think it sticks home a lot, but yeah. it's true. People don't, I've been saying that for years. I'm like, man, I went oh. away at 16 and my buddy, Justin Guy, who was my roommate, he was 16. He was from Grand Prairie, Alberta. Sure. And he got traded from Tri-City to the Portland Winterhawks. It's a big city. Like They shipped him across the border. making burger. $80 a week. He's not a pro. <laughs> right. Like, like you guys have no idea what, what this oh, feels yeah. like. <laughs> the way you explain it. Oh, What's it's the true. Name of that, by and the people, way? Oh, the name um, of the album is existing to existing is exhausting is the name of the album. I have a clip on my Instagram. It's probably the easiest way to find it. Okay. It's, yeah. But like, I've always, I've always felt like this. I, I feel like sports fans, and maybe this is part of just the how they, but they just don't think about athletes like people at all. Know, you know what I mean? I like people are like, every time a guy loses the cup, they're like, he doesn't want to win. Like, what are you nuts? <laughs> This guy's entire life is about winning. He's so pissed off. Like, you don't need to be like, just because not everyone gets mad in the way that like, oh God, yeah. I don't know. Like Matt Cook used to, like if some guys are just stoic, they're not like, you're like, oh yeah. They're, you, you think like, like everyone always is like Mitch Marner, for instance, they're like, oh, he doesn't want to win. Oh uh, yeah. You think, you think he loses uh, for the fourth year in a row with the, with the, Fucking yeah. weight of Toronto on his shoulders. And oh yeah, you think he likes like, that? Nice weekend I had, you guys. No, yeah, I, I'm sure he's rattled. I said last year when Matthew Matthews had a good playoff last year. I was happy yeah. about that because I don't mm -hmm. want to. If people are good people, I'm the same. I'm not a huge leap spent. My, my buddy Dave Roper is the equipment manager there now, and I'd like to see him get a ring, of course. But yeah. I like to see Canada win. Okay, and I'm playing for the Habs. I get alumni seats there, obviously, new hooks there. There's reasons for me to cheer for lots of teams. But when I look at the Leafs, I see, you know, these are good people. Like Matthew Marner leading the ship, Tavares. People are like, oh, well, you know, his contract's aging. I'm like, no, he's getting the exact same numbers. The contract, if you don't like the contract, that's five years ago now. But he's still <laughs> doing exactly what he said he was going to do. Yep. You know, he's not out there causing controversy. He's not calling his shot. He's not be. hey, why would you rather, James Harden? Like these, you know, <laughs> right, yeah. and when you watch Matthews last year, one of those games, he tied it up and he went by the bench and the celebration was, it was such jubilance, him and oh. his buddies. I'm like, is that the face of a guy that doesn't care? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? why would you not care? Now, some people are naturally better in the playoffs. Yep. Some people, some people learn. Maybe, you know, maybe he'll win it when he's 30. I don't know. Maybe he'll win well, it this year. Maybe he won't. But not wanting to is different. Surrounding players with bits and pieces that might fit 
to adjust to their tendencies, that's different. If I, there's a player there that is a cancer, of course, get rid of them. But that's not the Leafs. I think they're, you know, even Nylander, Morgan Riley, Giordano, these are good people oh, that are yeah. good hockey players. You know, I think Nylander's perfect. I think his temperament's perfect for Toronto. I think I think it pisses people off. I think people get very angry about it. But I yeah. think you got to have that kind of like fine line between like the chillest man in the world and kind of uh, when he wants to be like a dead-eyed psycho. Like you know, yeah. he can slice through like defenses like I have not seen another player have. Any so other funny. era of the Leafs, barring Sundin, he's the best player on the team. And it's like Toronto fans now, and we're no one is going to agree with what I'm about to say. Can I? We're a fifty. I'm, I'm going to qualify this with you're you're a Leafs fan, right? A big huge Leafs fan. fan. And like yeah. you said, you want a Canadian team to win. I do not. I only want Toronto to do that. Well, I that would rather. I I'd rather like the Atlanta Thrashers come back and win than watch Montreal win. With all due respect, yeah, I don't I get me that. wrong. As a man, I'm like that's what I want to see Alex Newhook win, but. You know, yeah. I'm just going to be a bit of a, but like, I think people have forgotten so fast how bad it was in Toronto. And I, you know, like, and I'm not saying this again, like these are just people, but like, I remember being like, I hope Mikhail Grabowski can put us on our back tonight. And I loved him as a player, but like on a cup, cup winner, he's the third line. He's your third line center, right? And I do believe that, like, in the modern NHL, you have to have some stars, and then you got to get the right supporting cast, and then a little bit of luck and health and goaltending. So I really do think it is about, like, just get guys who can do it, flip around the cast a little bit, and just knock on the door every year. I think it's your best bet. Nobody Like, if you don't win the cup, it doesn't mean you're bad. 31 teams a year don't win the cup. I know. I've it's, often said it, man. It's wild. It, and seeing it's got to be pro sports in general, but I look at hockey and all these guys getting fired. And like, like if you make, if you win the first round of the playoffs, you know, that means you're, you're top eight teams out of 32. Yeah. And often, if you don't get beyond that, often coaches get fired. Well, we should have won it. I don't know. I know you got stars, so do they. The two best players in the league, arguably, are on one team, and they still haven't won it, not even close. No. Nope. So I, I don't know what people are expecting. And they see, you know, Vegas come in and win, and it, that happened, and, and more power to them. Mm-hmm. But again, I think that's a team from the top down, and you need a bounce. Yeah. I don't care what people say, especially with the salary cap. There's a lot of parity, and like this part yes. of the year, almost, almost doesn't matter. There's just get to the playoffs. Yep. 82 games. First of all, without unpacking it, I think it's way too long. No, and like doubt. now it's just injury for me. Anything, anything before Christmas, but definitely, definitely before the trade deadline, but before Christmas by extension. You know, I'm just going, please don't get injured. Please don't yep. get injured. Don't get injured because again, 82 games, and you get to that. That's another thing. People might say, oh, he doesn't want to win. I'm like, four rounds of NHL playoffs? You don't think that that motherfucker wanted to win? Yeah. Like, he might not go out and drop his gloves or hit in the corner, but just going into the corner to get the puck on the fucking 22nd game of the NHL playoffs oh my God. is fucking torturous, right? So, oh. I mean, I guess my point is, I think by nature, there's 32 teams. Everybody wants to win. 
and tempers are short with players and with jam. You can have the best kind of a setup and a bounce goes the other way. Tampa Bay won that first cup, like in this iteration a few years ago. And remember, they won like the first round against Columbus, like in overtime. Oh, like, yeah. It's like, okay, they, five seconds later, it goes down the other way, and Columbus are in the second round, and Tampa mm-hmm. aren't. That's how close the fucking line is. And the year before that, Columbus swept them. Beat them. Yeah. Like, beat them. Yeah, this game is like, don't get me wrong, it's some of the most skilled athletes in the world, but it's also. I mean, you would know this better than me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, the highest capacity for randomness. Like, imagine if you put basketball players on skates. You can't even use your feet the way a human being does. It's crazy. Yeah, and so I love <laughs> I love how they sometimes break it down, and you'll get a guy like – like, I, I do a lot of the – Mondays and Thursdays, I, I host – a sports show in in Edmonton, Sports fourteen forty with Jason Greger. So you get all kinds of feedback, and I love it. I mean, fan—that's what fandom is. I'm not knocking anybody that, but sometimes you you tend to overanalyze it. Like, so I remember having to—it was last year—and having to break down a play that Leon Dreisaitl. He was on the goal line in the corner, and he threw it up over the goalie's shoulder. And they're breaking down like the system that led to that. And yeah. I'm like, guys, he had two inches to shoot it at. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is one of the best players on the planet. And yeah, you, you can't just have a practice and have a system that defends against that. Sometimes that guy, who's one of the very best on the whole planet at what he does, is going to hit that. Like, And there's nothing you yep. can do about it, right? Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, listen, I need to know this before we go. Sure. You're a comedian. It's your profession. And you've got so much. I just mentioned that with the um, trade, the being traded thing, because it really Mm. hits home. Did anybody ever beat you to a joke? Like when I saw that, I'm like, oh, fuck. Now I can't kind of use it. But I I swear I've only used it once since the way you do. But I I say Matt right, though. I'm going, you know what? I used to, you know, I make a story of it because it's still a ripoff. And... Well, you're in kind of a gray area there, too, because you're like an author, right? It's like, you know... You know... and, uh, if, yeah, you're right. And this if you're like one of my that. peers, I'd be like, buddy, no. Or not that when you're not I, my peer, but like, you know, someone who I'm around all the time doing stand up with. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Totally. I don't want to misspeak there. Okay. No, cool. no, right, no. Well, I went out with Jerry one time and Jerry pointed it out. I forget this guy's name. I should know it. But he was a major comedian in the 80s and 90s. And it would all be like one liners. So, and I remember I liked him. So when we went in to eat my first junior game where I ended up putting hot sauce on my hands and beating the guy in a fight, I was 14. But earlier that day, it, it said, it <laughs> said any breakfast. Yeah, I did. It said any breakfast, any time. So I said, I'll take an egg McMuffin during the Stone Age, please. And, <laughs> but it was an old joke by right. what I'd done. I'd liked it so much. I told you I write down everything. So I used to write down jokes and I'd forgotten. Mm-hmm. I think his line was, I'll take pancakes during the Renaissance, maybe, or something. Sure, but yeah. It, it, but Jerry D had recognized it. And I was like, oh, no shit. I go, that makes sense, though, because I used to write everything down. And before I knew I was going to do stand-up, right, I got half my books are filled with George Carlin stuff because they're such great observations. No doubt. So if I ever, you know, say it, I don't mean to offend any, but were you ever, like, looking at TV, say, and, like, had a joke planned that was going to kill and then somebody else did it? And you're like, I can't really go there. Yeah. So, first of all, I'll say this. I think the fact that's so funny that you put hot sauce on your knuckles, especially since, like, I would say – 
I did first. Seventy five percent of of seventy five percent of your father's generation have never put hot sauce in their mouth, let alone on their tacos. <laughs> <laughs> so it's yeah. I think that's oddly progressive in a weird way. Thanks for pushing the culture ahead. <laughs> yeah. I used to do um so it's happened to me a couple of times and it's I hate to say it, it's it's pretty normal. I think it's just like it just happens and you're like, oh shit. And then you just don't especially in topical stuff. Yep. Right. My first my first I did a joke. I don't remember what it was. But one of my first sets, some guy pulled me aside. He was like, Great job, great job. This joke's in the middle. This joke in the middle is a Bill Hicks joke. I would drop it because it's not your joke. So I don't know if one parallel thought does exist. Sometimes you just have the same thought as somebody else. That's all you can do. But it's like once someone's got it recorded, it's gone, baby. You know? Yeah. Um, that's like when you were like, oh, yeah, well, I did a kind of version of like getting traded. Well, like for me, I'm like, well, I already have that on the record. So I'm fine. That's no no, no skin yeah, off my yeah. back. Right. Um, yeah. And the other thing is like uh, I had another one that I was just I had a joke that I loved that. Somebody in my life had told it to me as a story, and I was like, oh, I'm going to use that. But I hadn't realized that they had taken it from a stand-up bit. So you have to be a little bit careful with, you know, because you want to use your life. And sometimes you write stuff that's amazing. Sometimes something just happens to you, and you're lucky enough to be able to retell it, and that's great. Um, But overall, it, it, it does happen, and it's just constantly for a while i stopped watching stand-up like just because i was like i don't want to have my brain too filled up with other people's premises and ideas you know so i'm accidentally doing stuff because it it man it, it happens to everyone and then i think the ethical thing is you're just like oh i just won't do that again it's it does happen but it's uh <laughs> it's it, it's it's a job hazard when i um I often, if there's anything though, I do, I would never really, I make a point not to take a joke, but the setup, like when I, me and I think, you know, a couple of them, Kent Tilly and Kathleen McGee, mm-hmm. we had to go out and roast Kevin Lowe in in July. Like I had Scary. To roast Kevin Lowe. And it was me, George LaRock, Craig McTavish, a couple of reporters from out there, Kathleen and um, Kent. And, but so... Say, I think on one of the Comedy Central, they'll say like, oh, hey, Kent's here. And in one of the comedy roasts, it was like the guy referred to, oh, so-and-so's here. I gave him the keys to my valet, like making out like he was a valet. So I was like, um, I, I said something about him selling me drugs in the bathroom. So it was like the same setup. Sure. But I was implying to him being a drug dealer as I don't know who it was. It was one of those roasts, you know, like Jeff... Ross. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, God, Gerald, Greg Giraldo. Greg Gerald Giraldo is a famous. Patrice O'Neill, one of the greatest roast Patrice comics Norm McDonald has my all-time favorite. When it, uh, At the roast, when he just gets up dry and just sits there through the whole thing. And he just says, he's just, he's, I think it was Bob Saget, but he's just saying, like, everyone is destroying Bob Saget. Just absolutely yeah. destroying him. And then Norm goes up and presents borderline n- nursery rhymes as if they're the hardest hitting jokes. Like he has a yeah. joke about where he's like this man, he's, he's for the birds. And it's like, but he looks, he's like, like, he's just like dropped a mic. Oh, it's so good. And I like, love a roast joke. And half of the people don't get it. And when he's no. doing that, half the people don't get it. I'm looking at a, I know that's a classic moment. Speaking of, so 
Jordan Nolan and Brandon Nolan, who play two two of the three gyms on Shorzy, so they love Norm Macdonald. Mm-hmm. And I liked Norm Macdonald. He was definitely one of my favorites. I loved his I loved his weekend updates. So dry. And he oh, would often yeah. I just saw an interview on Conan O'Brien and um on the podcast. And he would often go after the stuff that most people wouldn't get, but the people that got it would love it. Yep. And he would choose that. Like he liked that awkwardness. God, he was great. Um okay, one sec here. I gotta are you aware? We're going to go into rapid fire randoms now. Are you aware sure. there's a musician named Matt Wright that looks a little bit like you? No, I did not know that. I know yeah, that there's a crocodile hunter in Australia who's named Matt Wright. Okay. <laughs> so I'll never be as cool as that guy. Who's a musician? A crocodile hunter? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah and if there was, it's this guy's not a rock star. He's like a dancey, poppy. I don't know, man. I just typed in your name and a musician came up. I, I, I believe. Like it was Googleable, but I believe it took me to Spotify. I can't really. I'll send it to you after this. It doesn't hurt. Can't, and I'm not saying he looks just like you, but it's like a white guy around your age, brown hair, around the same build. <laughs> from yeah. the side, if you didn't know, I would think you had a new album out, and it's yep. fairly recent. Yeah, it's fairly. Hey, recent. man, no such thing as bad press. Um, yeah, that's somebody what thinks they I'm say. very well rounded. I'm a comedian and a musician and a crocodile hunter. Yeah, that is pretty. You could get away. If this were pre-internet, you could throw that on your resume and yeah, uh, definitely get away with it. The NFL season is going strong, and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking new customers up with an offer that's even stronger. Bet 5 bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October. Get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL. That's promo code THPN, as in the Hockey Podcast Network, only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours with promo code THPN and DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, which is 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. Licensee partner, Golden Nugget Lake Charles, L.A. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. It may be too early to start decorating for the holidays, but it's never too early to start your holiday shopping. So why not take care of it now before the crowds and packed calendars make shopping a total nightmare? Especially when you can get some of the best deals of the season well before Black Friday. You can shop Raycon products right now and save up to 50% off. Yes, 50% off because their early Black Friday sale is going on right now. You've probably heard me talk about some of Raycon's products on here before. Like how great they are for listening to the Hockey Podcast Network or some of TR's music recommendations. Raycon first made a name for themselves in the audio space with products like their everyday earbuds, known for delivering high quality and thoughtful features like a 32-hour battery life or a perfect in-ear fit for all-day lasting comfort. 
And this past year, Raycon expanded their entire business with the introduction of Raycon Home and Raycon PowerTech. The Raycon Home faucet filter ultra filters the water in your tap against chlorine and heavy metals. It's a must-have for ensuring that the water you use to wash your face and brush your teeth is, you know, actually clean. Or if you're looking for a great stocking stuffer, their 5-star reviewed Magic 180 cable allows you to charge iOS, micro USB, and Type-C devices 8 times faster with 100 watt power delivery. Raycon is known for delivering high quality and thoughtful features at half the price of other premium tech brands. It's no wonder their products have racked up tens of thousands of 5-star reviews. To get everyone in the holiday shopping spirit a bit early, Raycon is currently offering 20% off everything on their site, with select products up to 50% off. So beat the crowds now. Trust me, you do not want to miss out on Raycon's early Black Friday sale. Hurry now to buyraycon.com THPN to get 20 to 50% off site-wide. That's buyraycon.com THPN to score up to 50% off Raycon products. Buyraycon.com dot com slash thpn okay uh just got a few more now I, I call it rapid fire randoms do you mind i do not mind at all i'm having a great time okay here we go matt Wright, rapid fire random favorite sports moment of all time you don't have to be there to watch it you, you could be before you were born you could have been at the event anything what's your favorite sports moment i'll give you two I will give you two. The Olympics, uh, the Crosby Golden Goal, too obvious. So I'll give you three, actually. The okay. Olympics before that, when uh, Sackick, during the final, Sackick passes it to Lemieux, but Lemieux lets it go through his go legs. Go to Korea, and what's Korea it? finishes oh, it. Yeah, yeah, it goes Paul through Korea. his legs. Yeah, oh, that's my a great God. Play. And it's Mario Lemieux yeah. doing, like, you knew that he just something. He was on that team. A lot of people questioned it. Every hockey fan like that was going, Leave yeah. I don't give a fuck if he's on one leg. He's going <laughs> to do something. Or he's going to do something, and that was his something. Buddy, I'll put Mario Lemieux on the team right now. <laughs> right now. Yep. Right now, me too. Somehow underrated, I will say, Mario Lemieux. Uh, so I love that. I love... Uh, so Frank Lampard, Chelsea player, uh, played in the, his mother died the morning of the game, and then he scored the game-winning penalty. And as, he just walks up cold as ice, puts it perfect in the bottom corner, and as soon as it goes in, he just starts to run. And then as he's run, he just starts crying, and he just falls down, and everybody – I've shivers singing about it now. I saw it live. It's like one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. Oh, and also <laughs> the time that guy put on Adam Party's helmet in the Jets Newfoundland shout out. Yeah, and, uh, in yeah. the corner. He looks where the glass so came funny. Out. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I said, Pards, you're you're you are forever a part of uh, <sighs> hockey history. I mean, he it makes is me anyway. So happy. That clip still comes on all the time, man. I mean, wouldn't uh, he play in Winnipeg seven, eight years ago? Yeah. Um, it's worth the Jets coming back, even if they never win again. That was that's so good. Sorry, it's rapid fire. Go ahead. That's another team. They've had they've had good teams. Um, Death Row Meal. Oh, love this steak, twice baked potato, mushrooms, onions. I think scallops with it, and like honestly, just give me. A bottle of red wine and like a dozen beer. If I don't have to worry about being hungover, like if I'm going out, 
And I'm getting you know all, what? yeah, I'm going to. That's maybe somewhere to go with that. I think that's a joke. Has anybody it might done be. That? Yeah. You, you, I never thought about it from the point of view. You're not going to get hung over. I never thought about that until you just said it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, boom, that's packaged for you. Go somewhere with that. Take it on stage. I love it. Uh, if you had one superpower, what would it be? I think, Jesus, that's a good question. This is something I've genuinely never thought about. You know what it'd be? I think I could, uh, I could teleport. I think I would be able to travel without the the uh, the bullshit answer. of traveling. See, a fantastic answer. A lot of people say flying or invisibility, and I, I can't argue with either. But the no invisibility like, is a nightmare. Other than the feeling of flying, which I think would get old, teleporting would be way more convenient. I've wanted to do that since I saw Star Trek when I was five years old. Like, Oh, yeah. That'd be great. Of all the inventions, I'm like, that. Now, that would be cool. Also, Can you imagine want... walking out that door and just yeah. like walking in to watch an NHL game? Oh, unbelievable. You go to Australia. You could yeah. see what's happening in the Bermuda Triangle. Who wants – also, let me say this. Who wants to fly uncovered in the elements? I don't even want to yeah. run outdoors. That You see, I think people say it without thinking because yeah. the point is – Fast travel for most of them. I'm like, just teleport. Um, okay. In this world, you're not a comedian anymore. You've been cast out um, by your peers. You've stolen everybody's material. Matt Wright <laughs> is a fraud. But one of the people that you used to play for in one of these clubs in uh, Mississauga, yuck, yuck, say, they want to give you a chance, but this time as a DJ, now you got to pick your name. It has to be one of these names. <laughs> right fever <laughs> the funky punk boneyard bill for some reason boneyard bill <laughs> sure. or matt bastard oh, okay matt bastard's good but it's i don't think i have the right energy for it i don't have the the, the demeanor oh, oh, yeah. so i'll take the uh the funky punk i think that one's a good that's a good dj name the funky punk it sounds yeah. like a brand of weed or something doesn't it <laughs> yeah um okay, you're in a hot air balloon what kind of horrible life do I have to be the DJ at Yuck Yucks, Mississauga? Oh, yeah. I think That's I'll just walk yourself. into the harbor, of all man. the places you could surface, <laughs> <laughs> you're now the funky punk in Mississauga. <laughs> sure. Uh, you're, okay. You got to go L.A. to New York. Mm -hmm. Okay. You got to get there pretty quick. Planes are down. And uh, for some reason, you can't drive. So you're taking a hot air balloon, which sounds like a novelty anyway. And you get there really quick. No traffic. But you've got to take one of these people. Okay. Ryan Seacrest. Yeah. Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. Or Maria Branyas. You know who Maria... Oh, sorry. Maria. Maria. Okay, so who's that? It. Maria Branyas. Yeah. He's the oldest living person. She's 118 years old. She's oh. apparently very healthy. Okay. Well, man, honestly, I'd take all three. That sounds like a great time. But I'll take the the 118 year old person because I I oh my god, I have so many questions I could ask. Born born in 1905. God damn, predates the First World War. Oh yeah, like wow. way predates, <laughs> like <laughs> in terms of human life. Yeah, like would have been cars were just being kind of not invented but used used popularized yeah. my, my grandmother my grandmother before she died my great-grandmother i used to go to saint bonds because my dad substitute taught there for a while 
Then he got a job in Avondale, but I stayed there. So my parents would drive me from Mount Pearl to St. Pons 15 or 20 minutes in the mornings. And then after I would go to my great grandmother's house, which was close until they picked me up. And I used to have these chats with her that looking back were why. And again, no internet to like connect us. Right. And she told me, I remember like VHS is going like, this is wild. Like I can just, you know, watch things now, like whenever I want. Right. You didn't really, I mean, life was, if you didn't go to the movie and see it. You had to wait six months for it to come out to watch on TV or, or VHS was just starting. It seemed like the best invention. And I said, like, that's why, like for someone like you, this must blow your mind. And she said, Terry, I was born in 1899. She goes, we literally used to have to go and wait for the milkman. We used to take <laughs> a horse to the convenience store three or four times a week if we were lucky. Wow. And that was the, that was the big journey. And she goes, by the time I'm 70, people are walking around on the moon. Yeah, Jesus Christ. You're right. Right. (laughs) She goes, like, she drew, she goes, electricity had just been a thing. Like, it still wasn't in all the houses. That must have been a game changer. Yeah. Also, can you call it a convenience store if you have to take a horse to it? I know. <laughs> and really, there's another bit. Uh, you know, my my grandmother, she she had the first apparently the first color TV in Greenspan, and that TV. This is a huge generational shift. That was exciting, but still yeah. fun. That TV was so big and heavy that when it broke, they just had to get another TV and put it on top of the whole TV because no one would move it. No one would move it. Yeah, imagine yeah. all that, all that trouble. They were like a ton. If you wanted a good TV, it would take like four people to wheel it in. <laughs> yeah, that's not an exaggeration. No. Um, if you played pro hockey, what number would you be? Eighty-eight. I've had to, I had to think hard about this. I've not I've not played pro hockey. I played in the Juno Cup this year at the Junos, and I they I let me pick a that's number. Where I met Jim Cuddy. God damn, that's where I met Jim Cuddy. <laughs> Interesting. See, there's yeah. a lot of parallels. Um, yeah, I picked eighty-eight. It's my birth year. So and, nothing uh, to do with your Indros, just your birth year. No, no, no. Um, I was going to say dog or cat, but you got two dogs, right? You oh, do a thing I'm a dog guy, but Lou, I've got respect Sawyer. for cats. Lou and Sawyer, or is Lou Sawyer? Lou has passed, sadly. So we have we have Sawyer, and we have another beagle, beagle named Beasley now. You get him at Beagle Paws, right? Yeah. Interesting. That's yeah. great. I, uh, I, I've got the cats, as mentioned, but uh, I would. I'm just gone so much. I can't have a dog. I always had a family dog and always went Beagle Paws or SPCA. Mm-hmm. Free dogs, uh, what baby. What? Free dogs. <laughs> yeah. Well, then so you, it ends up costing three or four. Oh, yeah. They'll get idea. you eventually. But yeah, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> um, okay. You are. You got an album coming out, your new album. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, I guess it's your next comedy album. I was going to say you're a musician, but you don't have to be. You, gotta, you have to pick one of these names, though. The Right Stuff. <laughs> a Hard Day's Right. Oh. I Want It Matt Way. <laughs> or It's Saturday Right, comma, live. I used to do a show called Matterday Right Live, actually. I like that. Really? Yeah. So Matterday. I was missing Matterday. Matterday Right no, was, was so fun. Close. But I will say, oh, yeah, those are those are some doozies. And original puns, I will say. I've heard almost everything, but those I haven't heard. Hard Day's Right's a good time. Hard Day's Right. Yeah, that would be. That would kind of sum up the picture. You're, yeah. you're just sitting there like 
you got your pen and your paper. You're, you, you're after a day of trying to write ten sketches on, on. Uh, Jesus, what do we say? This hour is twenty-two minutes. Yeah, <laughs> right. a hard day's right. By the way, the Beatles are back. New single uh, video just dropped today. I know. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, video is poignant. Song is poignant. The video is more so. Time machine anywhere. You can go anywhere you want. It's not going to be affect history like the butterfly effect. You don't have to go back. You can go ahead. You can go anywhere you want in time for one day. Where do you go? Well, I'm not going ahead. <laughs> True. Going, there, there, I don't think there's much road ahead to go like, to. <laughs> you want, yeah, you want you want fire or flood, baby? Uh, no, let's go, let's go backwards. You go ahead and make sure it's in the next couple of years. You don't want to go beyond that. Let me cheat a little bit. This is what I wish. This is something that I have always wanted. I would like to be a child, an unburdened child, and hang out with my adults, my adult friends now, but when we were all children. That's what I'd like to do. Interesting. Yeah, I think that would be cool. That's a good answer, Spren. These are, these are spur of the moment, so um, that's quite interesting. <clears throat> a concert that you want to see that you haven't seen. Easy. Bruce Springsteen, East Street Band, and I pray it happens next year. Nice. I went. Yeah. I've seen him four times. Really? Oh, I'm so jealous. Playing for the St. John's Maple Leafs 99-2000, and one of the, we, we were at a charity dinner, and one of the prizes was to go see Springsteen. Oh. So, but it was four tickets, okay? And one of the fans had bought it and was, I remember, pretty vocal. Like, why is it four tickets? I, I just want to take my girlfriend. So I said, my friend, I'd love to take the other two tickets. And it was great because he sat behind the bench all year. It was a big fan of the team. Yeah. And we went up and saw it together. I took my buddy Mike Smith. Oh, amazing. He was in Toronto and saw back-to-back. -back. And then when I played in Cincinnati, he also played back-to-back. -back. And, and you know what, man? What's that? I stayed in my room. Like, my dad tells a story about meeting Elvis. And I'd always said I did the exact same. They had to use our dressing room in Cincinnati. I, I don't know why I never tell this story. I never said anything beyond nice to meet you, but I shook his hand by the craft table. Really? I, I just <sighs> stayed in there, like worked out. Like, you know, they get in there for their concert and sound check and everything earlier in the day. So we had just had practice. And like, it was it was an hour and a half after everybody had left, but I just stayed. We had a weight room, but as well use it, right? Like, and and I knew they were coming in because I could see all this stuff. So they... They had a craft table, and he was coming in. I, I could tell he wouldn't be bothered. I want to get into how much I liked him. Here's that all the time, but I was like, yeah. shake his hand and share the energy of Bruce Springsteen. Why not? And so I did technically meet him. Uh, okay. Second last question. You got to fire somebody, but you got to be eating a food, which comes off real pretentious. <laughs> so you, you got to – one of these foods you're eating while you, while you fire somebody, sure? okay? Wait, before I need to know, do, am I, do I want to be firing this person? Is this sad or is this like someone's really grinding my gears? It's, 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 it's sad. Okay. Shit. Okay. Which makes it funnier. So it's like weird. a budget cut for a good employee. It's a budget cut. Devastating. Hit me with the foods. That maybe, you know, was maybe. It hasn't really slipped up. Might have come in late a few times, but has a family, and you just have no choice. You have to. You have to oh God! Okay. But, but you have to be eating one of these foods. Sure. Okay. A cheeseburger, hot wings, steak, or watermelon. I mean, watermelon is light fluff, but I feel that would be such an insult. 
We have that big one by the way. You're fine. Oh yeah. Just but wings or they're they're all not great choices. Wings is wings is the worst. I'll say that for sure. <laughs> wings is horrible because it's like <laughs> oh yeah. You know, you put the bones down, you could offer them one. Horrendous. Watermelon, you're evoking memories of a nice summer day that you'll now ruin forever. Steak yeah. is like a rich man's food. Cheeseburger is probably your best option, but this is a nightmare. It's a nightmare. I'll tell you one thing. If I don't like the person, give me the wings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you don't like the person, fuck, can you even? Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. By the way. Or maybe the watermelon, you spit the seeds into the air to punctuate uh -huh. your sentences. With your head dove into it. With two hands. Yeah. Worried more about the two hand hold of the watermelon than the actual firing. <laughs> sure. Um, okay. Uh, you know, if you ever do another movie, that wouldn't be a bad. Oh yeah, Something that's a good in scene. There. Please yeah. remember me through that. It could start any. It could start uh, the Snowmageddon one you did. Yeah. Um, whatever. It could just be the beginning of something. Uh, you know what? I'm going to use this. I, Roger Monder's been wanting to do a short film. I need to start a short film. Just that eating a watermelon, firing somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Just that's, for that. That's a great right, um, Okay. Last question. In this hypothetical world, I've. You put together a team and I put together a team and they're going to play like, I guess, on computer and someone's got to win. Now, there's a million dollars in the middle and one of us gets to take it. We don't have to pay anything. It's just prize money that's there. Mm -hmm. You have to pick three forwards, two defensemen and a goalie, one line, all time. Hypothetically, these guys are all in their prime. Okay? You got to be, pick the best team that you can put together or your own team, whatever, that you think's going to win. Um, I guess it doesn't have to be the best. You could have... Bob Probert there, who's not technically the best player ever, but certainly intimidating and might give Gretzky some room. Mm -hmm. But here's the here's the dilemma that you got. You can't pick Gretzky, Howe, Lemieux, or Orr. That's the top four players ever, pretty much unanimous. You can't pick any of them, nor can you pick any Montreal Canadians. No one who has ever Richard. played for the Montreal Canadians at any point. I guess I'll give you, they can't be legends with the Montreal Canadiens. There must be players like Cam Neely that started there that became big in another city. Okay. You could take them. Okay. Nobody that's on the Canadiens honored list. Okay. First of all, excellent question. Are we drafting going back and forth or do you just want no, more? No, no. You can just assume what I got. I just want to see what your. All right. Connor McDavid. And, and forwards can play anywhere. So you. You could have, like, I don't, I'm not telling you who to pick, and you've got a great hockey mind yourself, but I'm saying, like, you could pick Sidney Crosby and Austin Matthews if you wanted. Right. So it's like the Olympics where I could put, like, a French like center on the wing. These yeah. guys will slot in the wing if they want. Okay. Oh, man. I think my blue line, Nick Lidstrom is there. That's the first name that came to my mind that I am absolutely going to have on there. That's done. Great pick. Thank you. By the way, I went, Montreal would give us money if we asked them to train. Well, we, we there would be assumed that we're going to train. <laughs> you better train. But if, if we brought up, we presented a case, they would give us money to go somewhere and train. So myself and Brad Brown would always take him up on that. We went to Brainerd, Minnesota. We went to Brock University for summers on end and uh, weeks on end in the summer. And we went once, twice, once for a full month to Vasteris, Sweden, which is where Lidstrom is from, and Tommy Salo and Peter Popovich. And we would 
The last two names, not quite as prominent as Nick Lidstrom, but we spent a whole month with him there practicing. It was wild. Every morning up with Nick Lidstrom, man, feeding him one-timers and shit. Haven't oh. talked to him before or since, but oh. it was a great month. Anyway, that's a perfect, that. that's a perfect memory. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was so good. Um, Dan, okay. Up forward. I'm taking, who did you take away from me? You know what? I think, I think this is the hole in the game is that there are guys who are not as good as Gretzky or Lemieux, but, um, so, okay. But the modern guys, I think, you know, given enough time, like Crosby's there. If I'm just picking best, I'm, I'm yeah. picking prime Sandy well. Crosby to win at any point. Obviously, if you got Crosby, you got to put Chris Kunitz with him. I'm just kidding. No disrespect to Chris Kunitz, but he was thrown on all those lines. I remember in the Olympics, and I was like, "Yes, this he is certainly crazy. was." Wow, um, he, he was gifted. He's he's not a whole lot further separated from Ringo Starr in a way. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there there was a little bit of luck, Chris. It was great. He played with him well, but yep. You know, if you're on Anaheim during that time, I don't know that you're. Chris Kunitz is 10 years ago, Zach Hyman. That's my take yeah. on Chris Kunitz. And I mean yeah, that with no call. disrespect to two great players. Uh, okay, so you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to put McDavid and Matthews on the wings. I think. Uh, That's fucking great picks, man. Bedard. McDavid and Matthews. Yeah. yeah. Matthews is really underrated defensively, I think. So, okay, so now I have to have another defenseman and a goalie. So. Goalie, I'm going Dominic Hasek, and that's without any without any hesitation. It's the only one that I would. No, I, I think I'd take Crosby. I think you know, I, if I was to think about it, I've done this a thousand times. I think your forwards, I would probably agree with probably all three, maybe two, or you know, my my it would feature those possibly, but the goalie would a hundred percent be Hasek. You can't yeah. live through watching that guy and not realize how fucking dominant he was as a goalie in this day. Tell me the last goalie that even Vasilevsky, man, they're hot and cold. It's the nature yeah. of the game now. It's They're hot and cold. Fucking Hasek, lights out. Got Buffalo, who were average at best, right to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. <laughs> and of and course, even, like, one more stylistically point. joyous to watch. Like Because goaltending now is like, make yourself big and be in the way. Dominic yeah, Hasek is like, I'm going to fight through you. He was a blast. Oh, he my was God. The last of his kind, I think being so like reflexive, like Coy Crawford was kind of yeah. like that, you know, yeah. like he, he reminded me of, I've not the same, but he's underrated. Crawford got fucking two or three Stanley cups. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> he was underrated. A lot of guys on that Blackhawks team kind of, and, and by the way, I like players. how you mentioned that because Matthews comes off to everybody as this wuss. I'm not saying he's the big toughest guy. And I do think that they needed to grow into it. And who knows if they got the, the, uh, sack to, to make it to the final. But I, I think if you surround him with the right players, yes, like why not? And the reason I say that, another reason we, we I didn't get into earlier when people say Matthews, mm -hmm. I could not believe my ears towards the end of last year. I don't know if it ended like it, but it was like 70 games in. He was leading forwards in block shots. Yep. What? Yep. What? And he barely, if ever, played the penalty kill where you Never. get a load of those for a joke. He's Holy brilliant. Fuck. I couldn't believe it. He's a what? brilliant defensive player. We, yeah, hockey fans, and this takes me time. If I was not a Leafs fan, I probably wouldn't see it. We can't wrap our heads around a guy who is so good at scoring goals, also being that good defensively. He's truly a unicorn. Like it's yeah. a very, very, very special player. So that's by, my by, by a, a similar, uh, a similar theme there. For years, when Ovechkin was leading it, I was saying to people, but. I thought the same thing. He was he wasn't like and, and of course he's playing right wing for the most of it and then over on left wing and finding himself around. He's not always 
you know, Matthews is putting himself at center for the most part mm-hmm. and going out in a different situation. But Ovi would fucking nail guys. And I'm like, look, like he just yep. took him out of the play. That's defensive. I'm not saying he's a Selkie guy, but I'm going, Ovechkin was very underappreciated. But yes, he's this. He's also fucking close to leading the league and hits a unicorn yeah. in, a, in a similar kind of way, right? Like just they're so good at one thing that they get no credit. credit for another, even though they're leading the league, right? And as an entertainment perspective, which hockey is, that's what it is. It is entertainment. You lose sight of that. Fun hits. It was never like, you always see some guys who you're like, oh yeah, he's got four hits a game. You never notice him. When yeah. Ovechkin yeah. hits someone, you're like, what did he do to him? Yeah, I was one of those, Matt. Were I you? Definitely, oh, I was one of those. First of all, I I rarely, you know what? I would, I, I, I would never admit it when I played, but I didn't want to hurt anybody. Like I knew how open ice hits hurt and I, yeah. I got concussed a couple times and I didn't want it to do that to anybody. And I didn't think there was a need along the boards though. I'll nail you. I don't mind yeah. like, but I, they would be finishing my hit. Mm-hmm. The point was the point of a hit is, is either to put yourself between the player and the net and take that opportunity away or, you know, to wear them down for the end of the game. So I was just the type, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. And, you know, um, death by a thousand pricks or whatever they call it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wound, wound by a thousand cuts. I would just, and by the end of the game, you know, D get, especially the big tough ones that seem big and tough, they, they still get tired. Oh, no Often doubt. The bigger they are, the more tired they get. You just keep finishing, finishing. But I don't remember five big hits that would have landed on Sports Center, but I always was one of the leaders. Right. Well, there you go. I mean, I think what you just said there where you didn't want to hurt someone, I think there's a lot of, that's another thing that's like, yeah, you played pro hockey and people would never assume that, you know, they would not think of a professional athlete to think that. But it's like, yeah, it's like, God, your athletes are just, they're just people. They don't, you know, they're just people who are good at a weird thing. And fight, like, honestly, like the most, (laughs) at least a lot in my era, I don't want to take, words in anybody's mouth, but there are a lot of players. I'm definitely going to say the majority that got in fights will tell you that more concussions came from those open ice hits. Yep. And I would, I would often, like, I remember my first game against Brendan Witt wanting to fight him, like, and people are going, what are you doing? I go, well, if I fight him, though, no, he's probably not going to hit me because I can handle myself. So I oh. do, he'll be at least more hesitant, but I go, I can't be coming out of my own zone with my head one way, knowing that this guy is going to fucking eliminate me. Like I just, and so, Obviously, in back of my head, I found fighting a lot less dangerous than hitting, right? So, and I look. So, point is, like, yeah, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be hesitant to punch somebody. But there was a fight, then, and usually I was fighting bigger guys. If the refs came in, point done. The point is to get momentum again in a fight. It's not to mm-hmm. hurt you. The point of me fighting you, unless you just ran our goalie, like very, very, very blue moon type stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, unless something crazy. Right. The point is to get momentum and get these fans and my team on board. I'm not scared of you, Cam Russell, you know, so fight him and look, make it look good and, and stick up for the fan, get the energy up. And in the penalty box, hey, Cam, good tilt, you know, like, but this like wanting to go out and hurt somebody. That's why it really you're all in a union for fuck's sake. <laughs> the other, yeah. The other yeah. Day, that guy Rasmus Anderson that took yeah. that line. Ooh. I think. Yeah. What the fuck? I would honestly, as a member of the union. I would fight him the next game if I wasn't on Columbus, if I was just on any team. Like mm-hmm. when that Sean Avery opened his big fat mouth about fucking Dion Phaneuf's girl. Yeah. There's certain things that, okay, I'm in a union, guys, and I'm fighting him right now. They yep. exist. There's guys out there. I would have done it. I That's the way I saw it. I love you know, that. I, like, I used to, Matt, some games we'd play against other teams. Marilyn Mew, I played one game against Marilyn Mew, man, and I didn't get a shift. 
But I went over the pregame skate. I went over in the room and, and, and talked to him, picked his brain a little bit. I'm like, we're all part of this. Like, I can learn something from you. I don't have to say fucking I'm over there blowing Mario Lemieux. But, guys, I don't know. He's right there. He's 100 feet away from me. I'm going to talk to him. Yeah. The players knew. It was all kinds of times that happened. Marty McSorley sure. wasn't always... Right, I remember going over and talking to Marty because he had a great perspective on the game. He knew guys I played with, like Bird Dog and uh, Todd Gillingham. And, you know, I remember him telling me, even little things. I remember McSorley going, I, yeah, you fought Domi. He goes, don't do that with guys like Tony Twist. The, the novelty is going to wear off and you're going to have your orbital bone broken. That, okay. to me, was educational, right? That's for yeah. Marty. Why, even though it's Marty McSorley, I don't want to go on the ice and fucking spear him or hit him with his head down when he doesn't know, right? That's just the way I looked at it. But anyway. Yeah. Um, I think you've given us, have you, you got one more defenseman. Ken Clee. <laughs> no, that's just the first name that came to my head. No. Wow. Um, yeah. No, that's one, that's one of my favorite sports names of all time, though, which is a, a very different conversation. Wow. That okay. is. Yeah, I, I have two answers. I'm having a hard time picking, and they're very different. Uh, the first one is Eric Carlson. The last year he was with the Senators. Uh, that year when he was with the Sens, he was my favorite player in the NHL, and he played on the goddamn Ottawa Senators. It was, was one that of the-, the year he made my favorite pass of all time in the yep. NHL, where he stepped out from behind the net and put it over everybody's head to the far blue line. Mike Hoffman finished Mike. it. Uh, and, he, and Hoffman had to finish. Yep. And they were, not only that, weren't they like fucking bickering on like Twitter and shit? Yep. Oh, and apparently yeah, they're wives. I don't know anything about it, but like apparently they're wives, wives yeah. were in a fight or something. Oh, it's so spicy. Oh, it was a beautiful play, man. Yeah. That that, that Senators nice team was like fucking Fleetwood Mac. Like they were making great things happen, but they were not happy with each other. No. Um, and then I remember in the midst of all of it, they got caught in a cab talking about each oh, other. Oh, God. I felt so bad for them. Because that happens. How many times have I been in that position and I said to myself, holy fuck, I wouldn't even have remotely thought about being on camera. Yep. Nor should you, know? you and frankly. Just, was... were, and, and they'd had beers in them, right? Now, I oh, remember yeah. no one said anything like, fuck him. He's a, like, it was just like, things that you say, but, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just a bunch of players talking. Sorry, one second. Uh, I'll let that know. One sec. Oh, you can answer it. Just give me a quick sec, Terry. Of course. Mm. Okay. Press pause. Hi, Gary. Oh, good. Okay, sorry about that. Apologies, brother. Right, we, we, we couldn't have been closer to the end. You got to come up with one more player. Okay. Go on your way. Hey, are you going to edit this? Well, I just press pause. Oh, good. Okay, cool. Because and I, I don't. I, sometimes People... I'll say my dog got out because it's a good excuse that no one ever asks what you're doing. Um, so uh, I don't want to. Now look you got. That. Now you get your microphone up by your ear. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, we had a good. By the first... way, are you a Jays fan? You had Jays hat on. Yeah, I'm a I'm a Jays guy in the way that like everyone, you know, I was more when I was a kid. I was more of a baseball guy. To be honest, now I'm a bit tuned out to baseball in general. But I've always been like a just a Toronto sports all around. So, uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a. There's some I've got some I I remember like. The, mo- the most I was ever into baseball was the year that the Leafs had like Del- or the Leafs, the Jays had like Delgado and Sean Green. Like those years, I was like Ooh, super yeah. into the baseball, but I've fallen out a little bit. So, oh, yeah. So my other defenseman is uh, Chris Pronger, the yeah. year that he was with the Flyers and him and Bufflin were going at each other the whole time. So I'll take yeah. old grizzled Pronger 
to pair with Lidstrom just because you got the one guy who can kind of wander around and just influence everything, and then a, a steady Eddie in the back. That's great. So I only, so the only three of those questions that I asked every single person are the superpower, death row, and the last question there. Mm-hmm. And my instinct, I only, I guess I've been asking that for three years, and most of the time as the last question. And my instinct was exactly what yours was: Lidstrom, Pronger, and then I was I couldn't decide between Pronger and Niedermeyer. And oh. I picked Pronger because he was so big and tight. Well, trust me, I, one game I played against him in, in front of the net, man, that is... And if it was exhibition, yeah. I can't imagine him in a playoff hunt, what that was like. Um, but, I mean, he was clearly good at it. and But he was really way better, like, breaking the puck out. Not just offensive. There's offensive, like, Evan Bouchard... There's offensive mm-hmm. like Tyson Barry, but he was just good. Pat, like he was just smart, like you know, coming out of his own end, like that breakout pass and knowing who to pass it to. Yeah, like, I, I, oh god. So I won't so, say who, but there was a guy on the Canadians. Okay, and I, I heard him talking. I heard him talking to the young guys. I said I hung out with Brad Brown. Brad was a first round pick defenseman, and he was great at getting the puck out first. And I remember him saying, "Well, now." Because Brad was like, well, you know, high off the glass or like, when do I, the game's a lot faster. You know, the fourth, I remember him like, it was a breakout. So he's like, you know, the, the, the sentiment's coming and curling and, you know, the timing. He's right next to the forward. Do I put it off the glass? Or he had all these questions about breaking out. And Patrice, or Patrice, now I kind of said it. So it's Patrice Breedwell. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah but I <laughs> now I won't say who then. I won't say who sure. the player was. But he was okay. like, and Brad, it's also who you pass the puck to. <laughs> so <laughs> right. it's like, you know, it was like he was just looking over at us, and it was like me, Mick Fakoda, and like Trent McCleary, and then there was like Damfus, Koivu, Bure, <laughs> fucking, and it was like I took no offense, and I was like, uh, not that he was pointing at me. Honest, sure, I think I think it was Mick Fakoda <laughs> at the time. Okay, and uh, and uh, it was, it. I never thought about it from that perspective, but his point was like you you could make the right play, but mm-hmm. things are going so fast. That you you it's got to be going around up here like who you're giving it to and I would put myself in that conversation too. You don't want to be, you know, this is a rookie that just got called up. If you got two options and one of them is Mark Recchi, take the Recchi. <laughs> right. I never really thought about it. Like for me, it's just who's open. Yeah, right? me too. I'm well, using my peripheral yeah. vision and I'm thinking who's open and but it's often who you're passing it to and yeah, it totally makes makes sense, right? Yeah, defensemen will always uh, the great defensemen will never get enough credit for how important it is to just make a decision early in the play that allows things to happen later. They'll never get the credit for it. They probably won't even get a secondary assist, but you just see guys do a little thing yeah. to get the puck, you know, swing it back behind the net or something, and then the lanes open. It's like you I will never like an average hockey fan like me or something like you never they'll never you won't see it and give credit, but it's, it's so important. Yeah. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I know you're a big fan of, of, of the game and, and, and you could point that out. Um, I've often that like the great players just to me, that that's what separates them. Obviously with Matthews and McDavid and, you know, I could go there, there's something that, that, you know, Bergeron, we mentioned and all the best players in the league, right? There's a reason superstars are superstars, but then there's guys that adapt and I, I just find it's all these like nuances. It's just quick, quick, quick little decisions. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I came to realize, at least really appreciate, and a guy I played with, Stefan Quintal, 
Mm-hmm. Stefan Quintal. Now, I think he has something to do with the players' union, or he's a great leader. One of those guys in the room that was awesome. Like that's why when fans get in on like who should be captain, I'm like, you should have no, you should have nothing to do with that. Right. It has nothing yeah. to do with what I guess it does a little bit with goals and assists because that's part of leading. But I go, there's people like Scott Thornton and Stefan Quintal that were so great in the room that you just wouldn't know because they were quiet. But Quintal was a stay-at-home D that used to have a good plus-minus. And I'm like, that I have respect for. Yes. There's guys, I'll use Tyson Barry again, being a Leafs fan. And I mean, there's more than just him. Morgan Riley to a degree, but he's a little bit better defensively. But he's gotten I better with see time, how a guy like sure. that gets 60 points and comes out plus seven. Right, like yeah. I get it, but you're you're wheeling and dealing on it. If your team's not quite as good, you might do that and be minus thirteen. But you show me a D that gets thirteen points on the season and is plus eighteen, then wow, right? That means that you're not only stay at home, whatever people are talking about, like you're out there for all these goals, and how great of a job must you be doing in your own end to not yeah. get in on any of that? But you're out there, right? I always found that to be I don't. Plus minus, like you could be on a bad team and be minus 30, and it's really no mm-hmm. reflection on your play. True. But for me, a stay-at-home D with a good plus minus goes a long way. I love that. And on that note, not that I'm a stay-at-home D nor you, but uh, <laughs> I've got to go, to be honest. Look, an hour and 43 minutes. I kept Jeez, you way yeah. longer once again. That's all but right, I like brother. this. I had fun. I this is a great way to spend a Friday afternoon. Um, plans for Friday night? I'm going to go to dinner with the wife. Good call. I got to, I'm going on the road next week so uh I'm, you know, getting getting my ducks in order and we're going to Will go. you be in Toronto at all? No, actually I'm going I'm going to Miami and then I'm going on a cruise ship. <laughs> ah, with yeah. with just the, me. Oh, just you. Oh, you're yeah. giving a stand up. Yeah, I'm doing like two sets on the ship. Beautiful. Wow, that's a great gig. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, so, oh yeah, well, I've been on, uh, took my parents. We used to do junior hockey. The team was nice enough to send us on a cruise at the end of the year, to be honest. Wow. And, uh, I took my parents. That's nice. Three years in a row. Okay, buddy, this has been great. I'd love to have you back. Sure, uh, man. Just to pick your brain, maybe I got a few recurring guests that uh, I know you have a good handle on. Uh, the NHL in general, hockey, but uh, just to have a chat. You don't have to be a hockey player to be on here, but it certainly helps to know your way around uh, a team and uh, be a fan and uh, also be able to shoot the shit about pop culture or whatnot. So I really, really appreciate you coming on here. Now, please, before you go, yeah, can you tell everybody that your two CDs that I know of? Well, oh, yeah. What, what can you promote? Do you have a website? Man, I would throw everyone to like my Instagram is probably seems to be the place that most people are kind of finding comedy nowadays. Yeah. Uh, it's like it's at Matt Wright comic. So W-R-I-G-H-T comic. And yeah, my I have two albums out and they're called Existing is Exhausting and Here Live, Not a Cat. But I'm always just posting reels and stuff on my Instagram. So if you're into comedy and you want to take a look, that's the place to do it. But yeah, thanks for thanks for having me, man. This has been this has been a great Friday afternoon, man. I appreciate it. I'm glad to have you. I said it a while ago, and uh, I just get so busy. To be honest, I kind of forgot about it. Yeah. And then last week, boom, I said I got Matt Wright uh, queued up on deck. So it was great that you could actually do it. I appreciate it very much, my friend. Yeah, have fun and, on uh, Shorzy. 
Uh, thanks a lot. If you're up that way, I'll be up there now November and December in Sudbury. And we go to Toronto every time we had a couple of days off to check out a concert or a game or whatever. Hell if yeah. you're that way, let me know. And if not, I'm sure I'll run into you in the new year. Yeah, fingers crossed, man. All the best. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it, my friend, and good luck. Take care, Terry. You too. That is Matt Wright. Uh, check it out, folks. Honestly, those two uh, albums I mentioned are awesome. Check them out. And I'm not just plugging them because he's a Newfoundlander. Trust me on this. Usually I get all kinds of DMs and and uh, you know feedback when I go out that, Terry, thanks a lot for pointing me in a direction with this album or whatever it is. And look, it takes five minutes. I would I, I look up Existing is Exhausting. That's my favorite by Matt Wright. Um, it's only three years old, I think. And listen to it on whatever platform. Uh, if you got Spotify or whatever it would be, Podbean, I think it's out in podcast form as well. But it's an awesome album, and every single bit on it is funny. So check it out. He's, uh, I would say, up and coming, but Matt's been on the go now for a decade, I suppose. And real good guy, real funny guy. And I would only say up and coming because... He's achieved a level of success that less than 1%, I, I believe, of comedians get to and writers get to achieve. But I think there's a lot more coming. And I do think his peak is uh, hasn't, hasn't hit yet. I, I, I think that the more people that hear and see him and what he's all about will definitely pay more attention to his stand-up. He'll gain fans as time goes. But the writing and... Uh, you know, in his creating and directing, I just think there's a lot in his future that uh, looks absolutely bright. So thanks again to Matt. <coughs> if you're downtown St. John's, I'm going to tell you some places that I want you to go for a beer, okay? Or a water or a coffee or whatever you're into. Just a nice atmosphere. You're going to want to go to George Street, right? So once you're on George Street, check out Trinity Pub, the Manning Brothers. Awesome spot, awesome feel. Live music once in a while. It's beautiful. TJ's Pub, more of a dance club. But we have, we have had, I used to run it. It's owned by the same people at, uh, at Greensleeves. And uh, the beautiful people that brought you Greensleeves. TJ's, formerly Turkey Joe's. And it's got, uh, it's more of a dance clubby place. But a wicked uh, deck in the summer. And uh, once in a while, some live music and uh, comedy and what have you. Check that out. Rob Roy Confusion. Kevin English, one of my real good buddies, and uh, it's been on the uh, one of the places to go on George Street now for 20 years or more, mostly university students, a lot of basketball kids. Kevin was a basketball player himself, and his brother Carl is probably, no, not probably, the best basketball player that ever came from the province. Played on the national team. Check that out. Carl has an awesome book as well <coughs> um, on the market. I forget the name of it. God, what? the name of that again. Anyway, check it out. Carl English. Uh, Greensleeves. Greensleeves Pub, man. Like I said, my go-to. Great live music, awesome food, good people. And upstairs, of course, is Loose Tie, where my ex-wife Danielle is managing now. And that's a great five-star restaurant. Check it out. It's fucking awesome. And, uh, I'm saying this more out of loyalty over all the years. I'm not, these people aren't paying me money to come on here every day. I was treated really well by everybody I mentioned on here. So to me, it's back pay this advertising, and that's true. Uh, at least when it comes to this. Of course, some people play for, 
advertising, just not the specific people I mentioned just then. Anyway, the Bull and Barrel, awesome spot. My favorite rock and roll hole in the wall on the planet. And uh, the Martini Bar owned by Pete Quinton, who's a good guy, friend, known him for a long time, and brought Alanis Morissette to the province last summer, amongst others. Concert promoter, great guy, always a good vibe at the Martini Bar. If you're going to go for a bite to eat, why not Merchant Tavern? Why not Blue on Water? Why not Wedgwood Cafe? Wedgwood Cafe also does catering. Contact Peter Wedgwood at Wedgwood Cafe for more information. If you want to work out, you want to change your life, you want to change in a positive direction, why not? Go to Ryan Power, Power Conditioning, Strength and Balance for the Body and Mind on Rope Walk Line. Whoa, Rope Walk Lane. Check it out. Uh, you want to go to Mr. Lube, there's two locations. One on Torbay Road, one on Kimba Road. Live, laugh, lube. Pitbull Pain Relief, the pain sticks that just don't quit. Check it out. I use them almost every day. Pitbullpainrelief.com. And, of course, True Hockey. Take what's yours. I'll be using my True Glove Stick helmet and skates on the new season of Shorzy, which is coming up just next week. Not, of course, on camera, but for us to act, produce, and uh, hopefully you'll see it on camera in five or six months from now. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. This has been 177B, Tales with TR with Matt Wright. What a guest. What a guy. Thanks, everybody. Have an awesome weekend. I'll catch you guys on the rebound.